Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 43. Let's roll. And uh, we're about, I think it's 12 days. I think it's July 5th. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll start drafting the Scott Fishbowl. Some of you are in there. There's like 1,900 people this year. I mean, I think the only thing you can't do is finish last. So just do everything you can to not finish last. Let me tell you. Uh, and, and for some, I think they've asked me to, to kind of give you some Scott Fishbowl strategies. Ultimately, it's for charity. And so really all you don't want to do is embarrass yourself. So don't do anything stupid. That's really all you have to do because you're not winning it. You know, one in nineteen hundred. Let's say you're, you know, fifty percent better than the field. It's still one in a thousand. So don't even, don't even think about winning it. Just don't embarrass yourself. That's the Dino Game Theory advice for Scott Fishbowl. Just, uh, just don't make yourself look like an idiot. But speaking of not idiots, <laughs> I have the, one of the, my favorite people on the uh, on the pod today. It's a, uh, you know, there's going to be like my my listenership is going to triple because uh, this guy's the uh, the Pied Piper of fantasy football. Wherever he goes, people follow and. And I don't blame him. Uh, today on the show is Nick Ercolano. Nick Ercolano is the you know founder of BDGE, Big Dog Gotta Eat. Uh, uh, has a huge content creation and is just an amazing person in the in the fantasy football space. But really, he's uh, he's building bigger than that. So really, really happy to have Nick Ercolano on the show. Nick, what's up, bud? Hey, man. Um, sorry to disappoint your your listenership with the whole Scott Fishbowl thing. I know you you, you asked me beforehand, hey, you want to talk Scott Fishbowl? And my immediate answer was nah. like, no, I love the event. I've done it the last couple of years. I got to say, like, I love Scott Fish. What he's doing for fantasy is amazing. He's like the sweetest dude I've ever, and I've literally never encountered him, but over the internet, you know, a lot of people, it's a yes. lot easier to be mean on the internet. And that guy still finds a way to be super nice. I'm not going to lie. I tried to back out of the Scott Fishbowl this year. I did not put an entry in for my name to be part of the Scott Fishbowl. I did not uh, answer an email that I got from the Scott Fishbowl or from him. And then all of a sudden, I just like two days ago, got a link saying, here's your division. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Like I would have gladly donated to Scott Fishbowl and, and done all the good things that people do in the Scott Fishbowl. It's the, the problem I have with it is one, like you said, you're not winning that shit, right? There's no shot. You're going to win it. Two is I'm in like a zillion leagues. And this this yes. thing drafts in like the beginning of July. Like I have PTSD from the first year I was in it, and Andrew Luck was my first quarterback off the board, and he retired about a week later. So I was like, yeah, fuck this. Like I'm not drafting two months in advance <laughs> for something that I was excited about, and now I'm no longer excited about. So Scott Fish, I love you. Scott Fish Bowl is awesome. Keep raising money. I will donate, but I'm on the record. I'm pissed about being in it this year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's why Nick's the best. He he ain't afraid to say what's on his mind. And uh, no, the Scott Fishbowl is fantastic, and it can be a little burdensome um, insofar as you know. There's a lot of <clears throat> excuse me attention paid to it, and you know I think the cool thing, Nick, is that you know there's probably some some people in your division who are just so happy to be you know playing fantasy football with you. Maybe they've looked up to you. Maybe they're you know maybe they're a Patreon. Maybe they're not. Who knows, right? But either way, they're like, dude, Nick Ercolano's in my bit, right? And, <laughs> I, and I know I it sounds any, crazy. I highly doubt anyone is saying that to themselves. I'm telling you, man, I, I, it's happening. And and you know, I can remember when I first played, I was like, I can't believe it. And you know, and I played with uh, Brandon Funston last year, and I remember like like Brandon's got to be older than me. I mean, I'm I'm in my 40s. He's probably gotta be almost 50 years old because like i was like 19 20 years old and he was already a, a young analyst in the business you know uh working at yahoo i remember him from years ago you know and so it's like it's just kind of cool to see you know 
20 some odd years later, 25 years later, I, it's, it makes me feel old to say that, but like, you know, here I am playing in some sort of pro-am with him. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's just no, cool. No, it, you know, Matthew cool. Barry, all the big That names. might be the the funnest part of Scott Fishbowl is it's almost like uh, if you do a draft on Yahoo, like if you're in any fantasy league, like a redraft league and the website auto generates what spot you pick in or whatever, like the excitement or like, you know, scratching off a lotto ticket is almost what it feels like yes. the first time you open up the division in Scott Fishbowl. You're like, oh, my God, who's going to be in? like even someone like me who like I didn't really want to be in it. I still want to see like, oh, yeah, like maybe it's someone that I've looked up to. Maybe it's someone that I already interact with on Twitter. Maybe it's like someone in my fucking brand already like snacks or animal or whatever you know so it is, yes. it is really really fun to actually see who's in your division because it's people that you feel like you know even if you haven't met them or even if you haven't potted with them or anything it's like it's still someone that you feel connected to a little bit of name recognition exactly or like and then you get to know them actually you know there's a few people i've played with who are bigger names and i think scott certainly wants the bigger names to interact that's kind of the whole idea of the of the pro-am setup you know, you don't want to play in a pro-am golf tournament and the pro you're playing with doesn't even talk to you all 18 holes. You're like, what the fuck was that? So, you know, the whole idea is to kind of get, you know, um, interaction. So most of the big names are immensely generous with their time, whether it's Mike Clay or Matthew Barry or, you know, some of the bigger names out there, they, they actually do interact with people, which I think is, is very cool. I'm in the REM division and, you know, the, the 1.01 in the REM division is actually bassist, for the uh, band REM, Mike Mills, and very, very cool to have him in there. And and uh, a lot of big, big fans of REM. You know, obviously, Scott tried to put people with their first choice. So people are just kind of blown away with that. Uh, they're just having a great time sort of having a chance to interact with literally one of their heroes. Like, literally, yeah. you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty neat. I, I think even thinking about that, when I started doing this shit, I was – very young. I was probably when I started doing fantasy football, I was probably like 14 or 15. But the first dudes that I followed were like the Yahoo guys like Brad Evans yeah. was a dude that like yes. really inspired me, especially from like the personality standpoint and just like the authenticity that you needed to make a name or make a brand in this space. And he was one of the first dudes I looked up to and like I would have been psyched if he was in one of my divisions for Scott Fish, you know, and now I've got the opportunity to have someone like him on my channel, on my podcast, like interact with him. I've actually met him in person a couple times now. Um, so it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy industry and then community and everyone's just so fucking nice and I can't stand it. Yeah, exactly. You're a 14 year old kid looking up to Brad Evans as like this. I mean, when you're 14, 15 playing fantasy football, the guy on Yahoo who has like a video thing back then is like, Oh my God, he's like a mate. He must be amazing. Like a TV star. And so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Superstar. So uh, to fast forward and now you're sort of, you know, shoulder to shoulder with him. It, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, you know, for some of these fans, it's just an opportunity for them to sort of show what they got. You know, they're probably, you know, killing it in their home league or whatever. They're like, let's see what it's like. So it's like a test of skill. It's a lot of fun, raises a lot of money. Uh, Matthew Berry with the the, the $12,000 division, which I thought was great. Um, I, I showed my support for that as well. I know Scott is really hesitant to make it a pay to play type of deal where, you know, whoever donates the most gets in. He wants it to be an invitational for everybody. And then the donations are what they are. So he was a little hesitant with that. But I told him, I said, hey, man, if you're going to have a couple of big dog divisions and you use Matthew Barry to leverage, uh, you know, that for donations, I said, that's fine. I said, it doesn't have to be a pay for play, um, you know, a tournament, but it can be a couple of pay for play uh, divisions where you get some some big whales who come in and you know they all they also want to people to know like if you're in Matthew Barry's division it's like oh all those guys each of those guys are girls 
donated five G's, they want you to know that's who they oh, are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think he could do the pay for play <laughs> thing. Um, unless they do strictly keep it somehow just like, Oh, you know, sidebar you donate and that's your pay for play, but we can't make it an official. Cause I remember I had Scott fish on my channel and we were talking about Scott fish bowl and just like the logistics of, you know, how they do paid leagues Cause he works, you know, for an actual like a uh, company that does paid leagues and stuff. So I was talking about right. the legality of it and, and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, we can't really make the Scott fish bowl. Cause I was like, why don't you just have everybody that enters pay $1 and boom, that would pay for any like web designer you might need, or you could pay some like intern that money to like set everything up for you. So you don't actually have to do all the groundwork. But he was like, as soon as we put a dollar stamp on it, nobody in these like illegal gambling States are going to be able to enter it. And it becomes, it yeah. becomes like a, a whole legal issue for him. So he was like, yeah, we can't actually do that. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and that's not where you want to go. <clears throat> it's a charity event. I've argued it's the world's largest charity fantasy football event, obviously, and that's pretty cool. And it's yeah. only getting bigger. I mean, he's gone from 1,200 to 1,440 to this year, like whatever divided by 12, 1980, 1960, whatever. It's like ni- over 1,900 entrants. Wow. So very, very cool. And like I said, you ain't winning. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. It's just it's a luck box win. Like just get yourself to the playoffs. Just win your damn division. Just have fun. Interact. That's the advice, man. Don't overthink it. Don't don't get too silly. Just put your best foot forward and and don't f up. Like I've made the playoffs every year, and I swear to you, Nick, I could have won year one because I, I had a dope team. But listen to this. I this was nineteen, so this was before Lamar was Lamar. I had a chance. I could have drafted Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott at quarterback value. Instead, the the, the quarterbacks I took over those two. This is going to hurt Ben Roethlisberger and Jared Goff. Oh, and you made the playoff. I, oh yeah, I my I I had a stacked roster. I drafted great. I just fucking whiffed on quarterback selection. It was just awful. I couldn't believe it. It was the video game year, I guess, wasn't that right? Yeah, the video game no, year. I think SFB nine. I think the video game year was last year because I think I was in the pokey. Wait, what was last year? No, no, the toys were last. Okay, year. I was I was I was Pokemon. I wasn't sure if that counted as a video game or toy. Toys, okay. and then so two years ago, and so he, he, video game scoring. He had like three hundred yard. Um, uh, bonus if you pass for 300 yards. I'm like, and the year before, Goff was chucking it all over in the McVay offense, and Roethlisberger had you know 972 attempts or whatever. Yeah. Only two. But like, so it's I was like, well, they'll, they'll just hit like the- Goff and Roethlisberger like were looked at as uh, in such high regards, and then fast yeah. forward one year later, and they're just both bums. Bums. It was awful. So, but I, I still did well. But yeah, that 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 roster with Lamar and and Dak could probably could have won it, man. I swear to God, I was like, Whoa. I believe it. Yeah. But not not with Ben and and Goff. A uh, little less ceiling there, <laughs> dude. You know what else always happens to me, and I think I have PTSD as well from it. Is the Scott Fishbowl waiver runs are always it, are very weird. Uh, I feel like they're in a different time of the day than most of my waiver wire runs for whatever reason. So every single year on the first week or the first waiver wire run, I miss it. And that pisses me off, and that's right. where all the like the good players go off the board. So I do my normal leagues, my redraft, my dynasty leagues. They all run, and then I look at Scott Fish, and I'm like, wait, I didn't get anybody, or it didn't run, or whatever. So I get fucked up, and I'm like, this is this is already drafting at a, a disadvantage because you're in July. Then I fuck up the waiver wire things. And I'm like, those are the only two things that matter in fantasy football: the draft and the waiver wire. And I'm fucking up both of them. <laughs> yeah. So I can't. Handle There's this. no trade. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I can't handle this um, league. Yeah, you definitely have to. Um, you definitely have to hit the waiver wire. I, I made a mistake in our undroppables um, group chat last year after week one. What's so amazing is like if you read my receipts online for James Robinson, it is nothing but like I love James Robinson all the way up to like week one of the NFL season. I have won 
literally right before week one that's like, watch out for James Robinson. This kid could get some playing time and and everything. And then after week one, in the undroppable chat, I'm like, I'd just be hesitant putting all my fab in form and all this nonsense. And I was like the 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 the, the softest in our group chat for him. I missed him in our league. And again, if I'd have had James Robinson, I probably had a good chance. I made the playoffs again. So it's all those little decisions. You definitely have to pick up the right guys on waivers. That's the thing. It's like you need to hit everything perfectly correct. It's like drafting in like uh, like on underdogs like Best Ball Mania, where it's like one team's going to win a million bucks. So it's basically when you draft, you're like, you're assuming, right? You're, you don't care about floor. You're assuming that all your players hit their projected ceilings. Nothing goes wrong. Everything goes perfectly correct. And it's like, that's also how you have to draft when you're in Scott Fish. So if you miss one thing that separates <laughs> from you, it's like, boom, you just lost your chance at winning the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, you're just trying to win that that end of season tournament. So you just have to draft perfect for whenever I guess 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever the weeks mm-hmm. are. That's the weeks that you have to and you don't even have to peak. You have to peak at the the last week, the Super Bowl week, but you have to also get there. So it's it's really just hitting that perfect thread of, of performance because you could draft this dope team. But if they fall down in, in the last week. Obviously, you're not going to yeah. win it. So. It's, it's not even like the last week, too. There's, there's a week before it because I know you get into the playoffs and then you have to finish like first out of Top, 20 or yeah. something. And then it narrows yeah, down yeah. to where you got to finish like first out of like 100 people or 50. something. Yeah, yeah exactly. something crazy. Yeah. So there's one week where it really just knocks out 95% of the people left. And it's like if you don't have the luckiest <laughs> yes. week of all time that one week, then, you know, it is what it is. Good yeah. luck. Exactly. Speaking of best ball, uh, also, you can uh, you know go to Best Ball, uh, go to un- Underdog, sign up for Underdog, and use promo code Undroppable, um, and uh, and get yourself free twenty five bucks. I don't know why I don't ever mention that, but <laughs> you really should just do that immediately and draft on on uh, on Best Ball. You you don't you you can just put in ten bucks, I think ten twenty five bucks, and then they'll give you twenty five dollars to to play with. It's unbelievable. It's like the best deal on on the planet. But you should definitely put more than that in there because <laughs> it's so much fun to draft. All season long, all off season, I swear it sharpens a sword. And I think that's kind of what Nick and I are going to talk about a little bit is just sort of player value, player valuation heading into 2021 and, you know, kind of what's going on in that regard. But yeah, Underdog's a great platform. They're a great partner. And it sounds like they're, you know, certainly growing fast. And those drafts are a lot of fun. Even the slow drafts, I was complaining about a slow draft. I feel like everybody's just timing out. It's like I joined a, a, a draft where everybody left it, you know, and it's just sitting there just, oh my God, it's so painful. Well, the move is, draft like once every two or three the days. The move is to join, like you get that $25 on top. So you have 35 in your account and rip yeah. off like eight slow drafts. So it's like, you yeah. don't have pressure to be sitting there in a fast draft, but you'll have a pick every 20 minutes or so. And it'll be different spots in the draft. You'll have different draft uh, capital or whatever. So the, the move is just getting like 10 of them going at one time. So it's, it's like, you're, you're never yes. rushed, but you're never like too bored. That's, that's what I end up doing with the slow drafts. It's so much fun, right? Like, cause you're just like, oh, look, your phone just tells you you're on the yeah. clock. You're like, oh, what? It kinda, it what, sucks, what am I doing though, here? If you start them all, a lot of the times I have a problem where I'll, I'll rip off like eight best ball drafts, slow drafts at the same time. So it'll be really yeah. fun. And then when those drafts hit like the 14th, 15th round, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck this. And I'm the guy that's probably, I'm the guy that's <laughs> auto drafting towards the end of the draft. It's really fun when you're in like the first round, the fourth round, the seventh round. And then when you're like deciding between fucking Prashad Perriman or Tyrell Williams to stack with Jared Goff, you're like, I don't, I, I can't believe I'm even playing fantasy football still. <laughs> How did I get yeah. here? What if what's wrong with my life? I really should have gone to college. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, but speaking of this this uh, this best ball stuff, you know, one of the one of the places we'll start is in Big D. Everybody loves Dallas. Even if you hate Dallas, you love talking about Dallas. That's that's the that's the old uh, 
radio trick, TV trick, just start talking about the Dallas Cowboys and everybody tunes in. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen some serious conversations centered around Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, he was going well into the second round uh, early in best ball drafts. And now he's he's creeping up, 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 up. And I think you I, – well, I know because I heard you, but I think you are with me in drafting him even as high as maybe top five, six, or seven at this point, which is kind of where he's going now. Seven or eight is the latest you really see him go off the board. Um, but do you think he's still a buy at that at that price in redraft and best ball? Yeah, I, I see no reason why. I feel like this wash narrative for Zeke has been on the table for like the last two years. I, I saw a tweet and I tried to find it. I, I, I took so fucking long to try to find this poll someone put up. They're like, do you think Zeke, uh, they did it like midway through last season. So it was like peak when people were were like tilting about Zeke. And they're like, do you think Zeke has yeah. been washed for, uh, for this year, for the previous two years? And like the majority of people were talking about how he wasn't that good the previous year. And I'm like, bro, he went for like 1,800 yards from scrimmage and 15 touchdowns. Last year, he was on pace for the same fucking thing with Dak under center, except he was going to catch like 80 passes, which is insane. So when you look at the running back landscape, like you have the C-Max, you have the um, Dalvin Cooks, you have the Derrick Henrys up there. And then I think once you hit like the four spot, if you're concerned about, I'll take Saquon personally, but if you're concerned about the ACL, which was obviously a major reconstruction surgery, like I'm okay with you not wanting to risk it there. Then it comes to Kamara where you're like, we don't know the quarterback situation. I feel like there's no reason not to have Zeke up at that point because the only the only narrative that you can have for uh, for Zeke is what the offensive line is going to be. I mean, when you look at the like the, the deeper analytics and you go on PlayerProfiler.com and you go on PFF and look at their you know their elusive ratings or whatever, he's been the same player. He was the same player last year as he was the year before. The only dip is the offensive line. Like their run blocking went to shit last year, and they're going to be healthy this time around. They're going to have their players back. Dak's going to be back under center. I don't see. A, I don't. I mean, listen, they gave this guy like a six year contract. What do you think? After one year, they're like, never mind. We don't want him to be our workhorse anymore. You, you sign a two hundred twenty five pound running back to give him twenty plus touches a game for at least the first two three years of that contract so he's a workhorse that offense is going to be really 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 good Tony Pollard is a change of pace back uh, maybe he catches a few more passes this year but like what Zeke was doing with Dak under center last year is um is nothing short of you know high-end RB1 status well let me let me let me share this with you right now for 2021 if uh, they're not going to do this but I'm just saying this is what tethers Ezekiel to uh opportunity is his contract if they were to release him this year it would it would it would go twenty three million against the cap. They wouldn't get cap savings. They would have a cap penalty of twenty three million dollars. Twenty three million. He's not going anywhere. No. So next year, um, the dead money would be uh, twenty three million, and it'd be a total six million uh, of increase on the cap. So he's not going anywhere. Finally, in twenty twenty three. Uh, the dead money is six seven, and they could save eight million on the cap. So they'd have six million dead on the cap, and they'd actually save money by by getting off of him. That's not this year. That's not next year. That's two seasons from so, now. So twenty twenty four Tony Pollard RB one season. And exactly. Guess what? Tony right. Pollard's contract is probably up before then too. Tony Pollard is more likely to have fantasy success on a different team than he is to have fantasy success on the Dallas Cowboys. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously Zeke has been pretty durable too. I mean, 
You know, so I think Tony Pollard probably should and will be used a little bit more this season. They're gonna they're gonna throw a ton. They're gonna move the ball a ton. I think there's gonna be enough for there to be some quote unquote Pollard games where you know maybe Zeke gets 12, 15 carries and two car- catches, and it's like oh well, Zeke was kind of quiet and Pollard goes off a bit. But I think in general you're gonna see uh, Ezekiel Elliott as the you know a tailback for the Dallas Cowboys for at least 21 and 22 without question, unless he literally like breaks his leg or, I mean, he's not Todd Gurley. He hasn't had a, an injury. You know, when people say he's washed, like last year he was a thousand yards over 70 targets, um, you know, in an offense that was led by like at best Andy Dalton, right? Like, and then Garrett Gilbert or whoever the fuck, like that, that, that team was That's what I mean. like, in like trouble. Washed based, yeah. based on what? Like, what do you mean Zeke was I don't washed? Understand like, so like, you watched him and he looks slow to you? Like, look at any, any number and it says that he's been the same, <laughs> yeah. same fuck. The way I look at it too is like, even if you think his efficiency will come down a little bit, what, what are the percentage chances? You go into every single game next year. What, what's, what's the rate? What's the percentage chance that Zeke scores a rushing touchdown in that game? I would say you go into every game and he probably has at least a 75% chance to just score a one-yard rushing touchdown in every game. Exactly. I wouldn't want to be betting against him scoring a rushing touchdown in any mm-hmm. game next year, right? I don't want that bet. I, I mean, yeah, if you just bet him to score a touchdown in every game next year, you're probably going to win money. So I agree with you, man. And, and so he, yeah, no. And that offense is going to be absolutely bonkers. The offensive line is back. Um, uh, shout out to Brad Wire uh, at the Undroppables. Brad has them as the 13th ranked offensive line heading into the season. You know, Tyron Smith back, Zach Martin back, you know, uh, Lyle Collins on the right side, Connor Williams, uh, you know, so they have, they have, their line should be intact. Um, there is some, uh, you know, uh, continuation of that line too. Not a lot of new people. So they're just healthy. Well, obviously they have to remain healthy, but they should be healthy going forward. That should be a, a an above average offensive line. And they don't need to be that good. Uh, like you say, I mean, you know, his 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 fantasy points are going to come from targets and touchdowns. That's the thing. Like, he was elite the first two years in the league because the O-line was so good. He wasn't catching passes, but he was running for 1,500 yards, and he was scoring a touchdown every game. We actually don't need the offensive line to be that good if he's going to get 70 targets. You know what I mean? Like, he more than makes up for it in the passing game, which is what Dallas is clearly headed towards. Absolutely. Uh, wheels up in Dallas. Hey, quick, uh, quick question uh, about Dallas. Uh, in redraft and in best ball, you're on the clock. Are you drafting either of C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper? And if so, which one? Uh, all else equal, I will be taking Cooper over C.D. Lamb. I just feel like I, I think Cooper has really cemented himself as the alpha. And you could be like, oh, look at the four game sample size of C.D. Lamb having sure. three more targets. And it's like, well, he's like running from the slot. Of course, he's going to have a lot of targets. We all know how talented he is. But Cooper's been the guy for Dak since Cooper landed in Dallas. Like, remember the half half season when he got there and he was ripping off like 170 yes. yard games? It just feels like that chemistry. We haven't got to see it for like the full season because one of them keeps getting hurt or one of them keeps fucking up their ankle or whatever the case may be. But I just feel like we've seen over, uh, you know, 16, 20, 25 games of those two like having really like a like a Rodgers Devontae Adams kind of light chemistry where it always seems like he's looking that way yeah I mean that that's undeniable the the splits with Amari and uh, Amari having Dak is unbelievable I mean they are definitely a match made in heaven um I'm a little concerned about Amari uh injury I'm not a doctor I I know that probably surprises you but I'm not and um but he um he's got some some issues that he's recovering from they're not sure he's going to be 100% for camp 
all that kind of worries me, you know, and CD and Michael Gallup are good. So it's like if he kind of is hit or miss early in the year, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. Uh, Amari, that being, you know, if he's not healthy, but look, if they're, if you tell me they're all healthy all year, I, I might lean Amari. The injury makes me just lean CD also sort of CD taking that next step. And, you know, I, I just think the kid's the truth. So I might lean CD, but I, I hear your argument actually. That's, that's uh, fair. For Amari. Um, I, I, I would agree with you if that injury is still, if we're getting to August, we're getting to mid August and yeah. we still have injury concerns there with Amari Cooper, he will be an easy fade for me. Like one of the things I typically say is, is for fantasy football people, it's like, don't find injuries because they're going to find you, you know, like, the, the, the thing about it <laughs> yeah. is like you can't predict injuries, but from a medical standpoint, if someone is going into the year with some sort of injury, their likelihood of re-injuring it or getting injured in a different location in their body is higher. So we, we know that for a fact, like we're not predicting that the injury is going to happen, but we know from a math no. standpoint that they have a higher risk of being injured during the season. And a lot of the time, yes. a lot of the times it happens. So it's like if a guy's injured going into the season, if he fucking pulls his hamstring on August 27th, he's a guy you need to be staying away from because he's probably going to re-injure it. Yeah, we don't predict injuries. We just look at range of outcomes. Like, what's the possibility someone's been injured? I mean, what what you know? What's the possibility someone will be injured based off of how often they're injured in the past? Whether they're injured right now, yeah. like you know, it's, it's like, like the best, no, he's hurt the best right predictor now. of a future injury is the fact that he's fucking hurt right now already. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's hurt right the fuck yeah. now. Like he's having surgeries and, and all shit. his coach. He's hurt. Coaches all they talk like the most commonly used fucking phrase by a coach during the summers. He'll be full go by training camp. He'll be, how many times do you hear he'll be full go by training camp? Training camps come. He'll be full go by week one. Like that is the biggest yeah, exactly. red flag alert to me. When someone says he'll be ready by week one, no, I need to see a week, two weeks of full practice so I know he's ready for week one. Because if he goes into week one less than 100%, again, the the injury likelihood is just so much higher. So so let me let me read you this. Ready? This is a player did this with, a, with an abjectly uh, bad offensive line. As a matter of fact, we were all very worried about his offensive line last year. 312 carries. 1,557 yards for 16 touchdowns. He also had uh, 44 catches for another 360 yards and a touchdown. I'm talking about Dalvin Cook. Is there any reason that we shouldn't be considering Dalvin Cook at the 1.01 in in redraft leagues? Uh, You know, McCaffrey's obviously the, the stud. I know that, but... Shouldn't at least Dalvin be in the conversation and in the thought process at that 1.01? I mean, is there a more rock solid player? No, he shouldn't be in the conversation. No. There you go. Tell me why. It's Christian McCaffrey 101. I I mean, listen, like, I know he he was the he was the league winner two years ago. And then last year on a points per game basis, he was like two and a half points per game higher last year than he was the year before. And if you owned him the year before, it was like Todd Gurley was the league winner four years ago and three years ago. Yeah. Then it became C-Mac and C-Mac was an even better version of what Todd Gurley was. And then continue like C-Mac's done it. I, I The health thing, of course, is going to scare people off, but it's not like it was a serious injury. He's not coming back from an ACL. It was an ankle sprain, then a shoulder injury. Yep. He'll be fully ready to go. And we've seen C-Mac play at an elite level, bad quarterback, good quarterback, bad offensive line, good offensive line. Bad weapons, good weapons, good coach. Bad, like th- there's, there's nothing that you could throw at C Mac and say, oh well, he struggled when this was in the fucking equation. So I just, I, I don't think you could pass on a ceiling like C Mac. I don't think there are a lot of what I like to call, I guess, like needle movers in fantasy football. C Mac is the guy that if you have on your team, the advantage 
is just astronomical. I do think Dalvin Cook is obviously not a hot take, but he's the closest thing to C-Mac when we come to needle movers in fantasy football. Like people like to argue about like, oh, uh, this guy's going to be the RB16. It's like realistically that doesn't do fucking shit for your team. Like unless you have the RB3 and then the RB8 on your roster already, RB16 is like not the guy you want in your RB2 slot. That does not need to move the needle for you. So it's like I can't can't be on the 101 and pass on a guy like Christian McCaffrey knowing the upside that he brings. That's a great answer. And and I kind of baited you into, you know, maybe agreeing with me, even though I, I'm kind of with you. I, I have I don't have Dalvin as my 1.01, but it's like the mental exercise of getting there. Wheels up for Dalvin. Is he where where do you have him? Do you have him at number two? Like is he over Saquon and Kamara and Henry for you? Yeah, he is at my number two. And in the beginning of the offseason, I'm not sure why, like I I was thinking about moving Henry to the number two spot. And I was just like, Henry's as safe as they come. You know what you're getting with him. And then I started doing more research and I'm just like, dude, again, the needle movers, you have C-Mac and you have Dalvin Cook. When you look at Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, I think we could all probably agree he hit his absolute ceiling last year. He went for over 2,000 round. And even at that point, when you start getting into half PPR and full PPR leagues, he was a significantly lower valuable player than a Dalvin Cook or a Christian McCaffrey because he simply doesn't catch passes. And that's the the problem. Like, of course, he's going to be great on your fantasy team. But when you're talking about league winning, like he'll be he'll be the best piece of a solid all-around roster for you that might win a championship. But in terms of carrying your entire fucking team to the playoffs and to the championship, it's Cook and it's McCaffrey and it's nobody else. It's maybe Saquon if he's fully healthy, but that's that's really it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Saquon's, you know, I remember, so Dalvin's been my, he was my 1.01 in that, in that draft class. Like, uh, Dalvin is my boy. I've been riding with Dalvin forever. I think he's an exceptional running back. But I faded him famously after he blew out his knee because – that next year, I was like, I don't think he's going to be 100%. I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, just, I don't know. It's just not going to be there for him. And, and that was, that turned out to be correct. And then, you know, the last two years, I've been all over him and that's been correct. And so I, I think he's going to go for it again here. And I think he's going to be great again. I mean, obviously, barring injury, he hasn't really been hurt since the knee. Um, you know, obviously a little nicks and, and, and things like that. But we, we've seen that. You know, a lot of people will criticize Dalvin for being injury prone. But then, you know, literally you lose a season from CMC and Saquon and people will still somehow give you the argument that Dalvin is injury you know, prone and but not those guys. I, I don't understand. Like It's ridiculous. Well, dude, like, I, he's actually I, I legitimately yeah. think the biggest the single biggest advantage you could have as a fantasy football player. Like, listen, when we're when we're breaking down players and I'm like, yo, draft RB seven instead of RB eight. It's a coin flip. No matter how good the argument I make is at the end of the day, like we're all just out here saying shit right and like we have no idea what's going to happen there are like very few pockets in fantasy analysis that you could actually come away with it with an advantage and medical expertise is one of them like we have people that are fantasy doctors now right like they're real fucking life sports doctors but they are starting to infiltrate the fantasy space and they tell like we learn a lot of shit from them right like we know that drafting a player one year removed from the acl is a lot riskier than waiting. We, we, uh, something else that we say typically uh, on my channel is like, we want players two years removed from the ACL tear. So when you said with Dalvin, I was yep. in the same mindset. I was like, we want him two years removed because one, like the timetable is nine to 12 months. That's if all goes right and the players mentally back. A lot of the times you talk to these doctors and they'll be like, dude, I work with professional athletes and you don't see them get full confidence in that knee that they just tore the fuck up until 15 months, 16 months back. And by that time, 
that first season's done. You know what I mean? So like the season's yeah, over so exactly. for you to be physically back for you to be a hundred percent mentally back. It's going to be that second year back. Now there's been hits and misses with that for the most part. If it's an older player that almost tends to like hit the nail on the head. 90 that's like a 90% hit rate avoid players one year removed from the ACL if they're older but we've seen a few of the guys at, at younger paces like Cooper Cup was a guy who was young when he tore his ACL came back was like really really strong at least for the first half of the year um, and that proved yep. you wrong and that was a lesson I learned it was just like okay they're coming off serious injury but they're younger their recovery timetable might be a little bit better so keep a very close eye on reports and try to weave through coach speak about how good a guy looks or what his fucking testing numbers look at the time but for the most part like Injury, injury optimism, injury optimism is the biggest single mistake I see from a lot of players in fantasy football. I love it. It's true, man. And you're just trying to um, fade risk. You know, I mean, you're trying to create a, a team that doesn't have a lot of, you know, oh, I should have seen that. Yeah, I forgot he did the ACL last year. Like, I mean, at the end of the year, you just want to try and eliminate as much risk as possible, especially in your early picks. You can lean into risk and and variance, I think, later in a draft. But, you know, early on, I don't want to have a guy like right now. One of the guys that I know you and I are both super high on. And so we'll go here now is Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson, you know, has all the ceiling in the world, like literally all the ceiling in the world. But he, I don't know if he has I, I just don't know what this toe situation is, how, how you know, like if it's a nagging injury, it's one of those things where it's like. He's not out, but like you're not sure how much he's going to play. The the old uh, Alshon Jeffrey, yeah. you know, problem. It's like, yep, he's active, questionable hamstring. You're like day to day going on that four mean? years. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, what are we doing with Antonio Gibson? I mean, I just love drafting him in the second round so very much to pair with like some stud running back. But I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah, I mean. Based off what we just said, Gibson is a wildly risky pick because we know this is the toe injury that cost him games last year. And we're, t- we're talking about still being a problem. Uh, you could have had right. the surgery and been out, you know, three, four, five, six months or whatever, and then probably been fully recovered from it. He decided not to. And at this point, it's way too late. If he does have the surgery, he'll miss half the season. So now it becomes a game of like, keep a very close eye on reports know who you're looking at when you're looking at these reports so the beat reporters are they talking about him doing a fucking walkthrough in shorts couldn't say oh he looks good like obviously he looks fucking good in shorts he's antonio gibson look what he looks like you know but you have to be able to you have to be able to decipher what's real what's not real and this is a big concern if they're still talking about it at the end of august i'm probably going to fade him is it is it possible i'm wrong like yeah of course he is upside like C-Mac like Dalvin Cook we haven't seen it yet but like that's the range of outcomes with this guy's talent level so right now yeah I'm concerned but it's also two months away from the NFL draft time and this is why it makes it a tough decision in like the Scott Fishbowl someone's gonna have to gamble on him and we have no fucking idea what it's like so um, I'm worried about Antonio Gibson with the toe because I I tend to steer away from injury optimism but he's a particular case where I'll wait until like the last minute to have a you know uh, as much medical information as we can get for me to have like a take on him. You did a uh, a, uh, <clears throat> a live underdog draft as one of your most recent pods, and you went Zeke, and then you went Antonio Gibson, and I was nodding my head like, "Yep, yep, yep." But the 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 only, you know, that that toe is just a little bit concerning for mm-hmm. me. Um, so you know, that brings me to another guy or two guys we'll hit right now that are also generally available in the third round of best ball. One of them is the guy you did draft, and that is Chris Carson. And I feel like at RB, like I think his ADP has now moved up to 18 on best ball, RB 18, uh, which puts him in that third round. And he was at like RB 20, 22 for a while. And 
you know, uh, I've just been singing his praises. I don't think I moved the ADP, but I mean, that was definitely an error. And now we're seeing him sort of come back to, I think even at RB18, do you think he's one of the best uh, values in best ball and redraft right now. Yeah, I do. And I keep seeing his, his ADP dip. I remember like when it first started, I was getting him in the fourth round and I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And then I do it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I do those drafts like once a week. So there's a lot of people that join underdog through those videos. And then, you know, I, you see him start to creep up a little bit and I'm talking, you know, you get to yes. see the trends week over week when you do so many drafts and I'm like, okay, Chris Carson finally getting into like the top 30 or whatever, right. Is a mid round third pick. <laughs> And I think he went as high as like the 211 in one of those drafts. And now we're seeing his ADP dip back down because I guess people are getting fucking bored of him. I'm like, bro, Chris Carson <laughs> is also like a, a Zeke light. Like, I don't think people realize that he was like he only played 10 games last year, but his efficiency was as good as it's ever been on the ground. And especially in the uh, in the passing game, man, he was on pace for like 65 targets or something like that. And if Russell yes. Wilson and this passing offense are going to be more up tempo this year with the new uh, offense that they're installing, it's supposedly I mean, everything we're hearing is that they're really excited about it. I don't know if that's real or not, but it's different sentiment than they've been saying the last couple off seasons. So I'm, I'm starting to buy into it. The more the more we hear about it, right, like. When we hear these offseason reports again, it's hard to decipher what's real and what's not. But when you start to hear it from like a billion different sources, when you start to hear it from all the players, from all the coaches, from all the beat reporters, it's like, okay, where there's smoke, there's fire. So it does seem like there's a legitimate change there in Seattle. And if that's the case, Chris Carson's going to catch a ton of balls. Rashad Penny, it's fucking his knee is hurt already. So we could all take a drink there. And it doesn't seem like he's, you know, yep. it doesn't seem like he's got competition. So it's Chris Carson again, if he's going to get pass catching work like he did last year, I, I don't like just take the starting running back behind Russell Wilson. Yeah, Rashad Penny, uh, we can refer to him in the past tense. Um, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Re- like, remember Rashad Penny? Yeah, man, I do. That's That was – those those were great years. Barely old enough um, to remember, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, let me hop up here, son. Let me tell you about Rashad Penny. Um, but, um, but, yeah, Chris Carson, I mean, he had four receiving touchdowns last year. I remember, like, you know, I had him in a few spots, and, you know, it would be like Russell Wilson – Chris Carson for the touchdown. You're like, fuck, yes. Like, that is so sweet. You know, it's like, you know, he had three career receiving touchdowns before last season. So it wasn't something that he had necessarily done. But you're right. He had a great pace, uh, you know, target target pace, you know, uh, 46 targets in like 12 games. So, yeah, he's like, I think you said, you know, pacing, you know, 60, 70 targets, which would be great. You know, and that really elevates him. And I don't see that necessarily stopping. I think they trust him. I was – really concerned with Chris Carson going into the off season. And I sold him in so many spots because I was afraid that uh, Seattle was going to not resign him and he was going to go elsewhere. And if he goes elsewhere, you know, I, I don't know. He's just, he's, he's a fine running back, but he's, you know, but in that system, it's like match made in heaven. And, and you're right. The, the space he's given because of the threat of DK Metcalf, obviously safeties aren't creeping up. When you look over and like there's this monster who runs faster than everybody singled up on some poor corner, like you need safety help. And Tyler Lockett is fast. And, you know, now they bring in Eskridge in the slot, probably, I would think. Um, he's quick. Yeah, dude, es- um, es- Eskridge, so- they got Everett. I mean, this team is just fucking full of athletes. And then you put, fast. You put a bull like Chris yeah. Carson back there. And it's like, what's the defense going to do? And I, w- I was really surprised he resigned too. I thought he was going to go to like I thought Buffalo was going to sign a man, and I was like that would be a beautiful, been you know, fine. Let, yeah, yeah, let him run behind Josh Allen in front of fucking Singletary and Moss, and let them like get, get scraps or whatever in that offense. But when they resigned, I I was definitely surprised. I still think like I don't know, he, he's not necessarily a buy in dynasty. He'll he'll be he'll be good for redraft no. this year, but he's like old, and yeah. who knows by this time next year they might actually have a committee. They might take. 
second back, second round running back. And then it's like, okay, you just have a timeshare. You got one good year out of him. I think, I mean, it was probably the right move to sell him regardless, but for this year, I mean, yeah, I, I would imagine, you know, the, the injury history is a little bit concerning. He's had trouble staying on the field because he runs like an actual fucking bull. So that, that equates to a lot of problems, but I mean, listen, if you're yep. going to get him for 12, 14 games or whatever this year, he's going to give you really good 12 to 14 performances. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's going to be really good. I mean, you know, he couldn't stay on the field last year consistently, which is a problem. And he, he didn't have that much rushing upside, but the offensive line was a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a mess. And, you know, he also gets that Russell Wilson sort of, you know, the running quarterback, um, you know, help where, you know, they can do the RPO where basically Russell Wilson is blocking somebody by optioning them out. Yeah. I thought that they ran that a lot and very, very rarely did they let Russell Wilson keep it. Or I should say very rarely did Russell Wilson choose to keep it. A lot of time those DNs were just, you know, crashing down on, on the, on the running back. But I think maybe Russell's a trying to save his body and B trying to set up a big play later. I feel like if he takes too many of those early, they, they, they kind of keep him honest and it, it takes away that big play opportunity from him. I think he almost waits and just, baits them into you know taking the running back taking the running back and then finally he just pulls off 30 yards when they need it most late in the game but you know unfortunately uh for our russell wilson uh you know uh you know shares he doesn't have as much rushing upside as he used to yeah he'll still score by the goal line i feel like and he's just way too smart he's like i'm not taking hits here i'm not taking hits there if that means less rushing attempts or he's basically like a mobile tom brady like he just knows not to take those hits (laughs) he's probably gonna play as long as Tom Brady. you know what i mean he's just like a compact guy he doesn't get hurt he's probably looking at brady at like 45 and he's be like yeah i'll be there in 10 years so i feel like russell wilson low-key like dynasty buy i know he keeps getting like a little bit lower and lower in the adp but like do we see any signs of him slowing down like no right yeah exactly no it's i agree man russell wilson's a stud uh, the other guy was Chris Carson. The other guy that I like in that spot is, you know, I can't quit you, Miles Sanders. I, I think he's a perfect post-hype sleeper here. You know, last year he was going, you know, well into that second round. He was he was sometimes a first-round pick and redraft in best ball. Like, he was way up there. People had huge – you know, well, look, when the offensive line was healthy – the in Philly, it looked like it was going to be a, a an absolute stud offensive line where they were just going to kill people – and then every every single person got hurt. Everybody, like everybody, you know, Ertz, Goddard, uh, Sanders himself, like everybody except Carson Wentz got hurt. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a mess. And even still, I thought Miles showed pretty well. Obviously, he didn't win you anything last year in fantasy. He was an absolute bust in fantasy. But you know, insofar as when he did play and finally got on the field with with Jalen Hurts, I thought it looked pretty good. And if they can get their offensive line intact, are you buying into this Miles Sanders? Uh, post hype or, or are you out i am out and it hurts me to say because i was so far into it last year i dug a hole i jumped in it i fucking buried the sand on top of my head until uh, until i couldn't breathe anymore and this was it wasn't even necessarily a learning experience like i knew it while it was happening and he was exactly the example that i would use for don't find injuries because they're going to find you in fantasy like he had the injury that kept him out weeks in august right so we're going into the draft not even knowing his status we know he's injured right like we know he's hurt and he was still a back end first early second round pick misses week one uh i still think if all those things didn't like if 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 everything worked in his favor you know the offensive line all didn't get hurt if he didn't get hurt i think he would have had a monster year like we went into the summer and they were telling us how they wanted to use him. They're like, he's our workhorse. He's our three down back. 
The first time he steps back onto the field, he gets like 27 opportunities. Next game, he gets like 25. Like, the first three or four games he was in, he was getting like monster, monster RB1, like elite RB1 numbers. And then he gets hurt again. And who knows if that was any relation to, you know, the first injury that he had coming into the year. And, and those are the things I talk about with injury optimism. It's like those things tend to lead to the other things. This year, we're coming around. We're already hearing the reports about how they're going to be using a committee. So I'm like, listen, they told you what they wanted to do with him last year. They tried. It didn't work. He got hurt. They're telling you what they're going to do with him this year. So when they do that, we can't act surprised. Like, they they told us with the the moves that they made this offseason, right? Like, they didn't, they didn't invest serious capital in anyone. They didn't invest serious free agent money. But they did it in volume, right? Like they re-signed Jordan Howard. They drafted Kenny Gainwell. They claimed Carryon Johnson for whatever reason. They're just telling you that they want somebody else to be a part of this backfield. Boston Scott is still there. It's like maybe we don't – like Sanders is easily the most talented guy. He's going to be the first and second down guy. But it's like, is that where it stops? Do Is he on third downs? Is he the best pass blocker there? Is Kenny Gainwell going to get the pass catching work? Is Jordan Howard going to be on the goal line? Jalen Hurts is going to be running the ball on the goal line. So it's like I'm just I'm, – I just feel like – I don't want to think too hard about this one. They're already telling us that they're going to use a committee, so we don't have any right to be mad when they do it. Interesting. I like it. It's a good take. I'm still buying into Miles Sanders in the third round, but here's what's interesting is in in if if you look at uh, best ball ADP on underdog right now, it's uh these these four players are the, are are the four running backs in a row. It goes Chris Carson, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, uh David Montgomery. And so you and I both Easily agree that we're taking Carson. We think he's a sort of a cheat code in the third round. I'm with you. If for some reason you pick late in the third and all of a sudden early fourth or something, you know, those three guys are on the board and Chris Carson's off the board. Are you taking any of them? And if so, which one? Uh, preferably no. Like I, I have, I believe, I want to say they're all in my rankings, like Montgomery 19 maybe Jacobs 21 and Sanders 22, something like really, really close. Mm, yeah. But I think if we look at overall rankings, overall ADP, I'm preferably drafting two, if not three running backs in like the first three rounds. So I don't want to be taking those guys who are all like Sanders is wildly risky. Jacobs and Montgomery seem like boring high floor plays this year. And I'm just like, that's not really who I want to stick in my RB2 role. If you can get them in the fifth round or some shit, like I, I've got yeah, them yeah. at the end of the fourth round. I've got a lot of like Jacob shares at the 412, 5-1. And I'm like, there, I'll take it all day. You know what I mean? Because you're getting yeah. RB2 value in your flex. But they're not a guy I'm like, oh, I can get him in, at my RB2 spot and I'm excited about it. So preferably I'd, I'd fade them all. I'd probably take David Montgomery because – Listen, maybe there's a chance that David Montgomery is just as good as he was last year. Very unlikely with Terry Cohen coming back and like the soft schedule that we saw him blow up on. But like, you know, yep. maybe maybe we're just fucking wrong and David Montgomery's good. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. Maybe we're just fucking wrong. I think that's exactly right. And I, you know, I always say be ready to be wrong, and it could be that we're wrong. I I do still think like you know Monty is a little bit of fool's gold there last year although I think he's a good football player I said it from the beginning I always said he was a great football player in a for an NFL running back a relatively unathletic body like he's not explosive and fast for an NFL elite running back you know obviously he's a lot faster than my ass people always (laughs) say he's fast it's like Dude, I'm, it, what are you, his mother? Like, yeah, he's fucking, he's real fast, man, you know? But, that makes, um, that so, drives me you know, nuts when people are like, the combine is useless. I'm like, I get it. Like, you know, you're not going to be able yeah. to tell what a player is going to be at the NFL level, but it gives you their athleticism relative to all the NFL players. When you have a guy that's right. playing in the Big Ten or Big 12 or whatever, he's at Iowa State playing against lesser competition, he looks fast. 
you get the combine numbers and you say, oh, because the guy on that one highlight play that he broke away from where he looked really fast is a 4'9 guy. But relatively speaking, we know that David Montgomery is a 4.65 guy. So he's as fast as fucking being 4.65 is not just because you thought he looked fast in a highlight tape doesn't make him a 4.44 guy. That's like I it drives me nuts when people like base the combine. It's like you just don't know how to use it correctly. That's right. And and ultimately, this is my take uh, on the combine thing. It's like just because someone is fast doesn't make them good. Right. right? It's like people think, well, if he's fast. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that. If a guy is really good, like, you know, Jonathan Taylor, David Montgomery, right? You see those guys, you're like, wow, these guys are really good football players. And they're four, three, five. That gives them the window, the doorway to be elite. Doesn't mean they are. It doesn't mean just because Jonathan Taylor is a four, three, nine guy that he is going to be elite. That doesn't mean that. It means that he has the requisite speed to to be Adrian Peterson. Whereas David Montgomery cannot ever be Adrian Peterson since it's not possible because he doesn't run that fucking fast yeah. first and foremost you need to show me that you're good at football like i people right. like to show athleticism before college production i'm like dude show me that you no. show me that you could do it against athletes that aren't in the one one percentile because you're about to have to play against the one percentile in the nfl you couldn't do it at the college level against guys who aren't going to be playing at the next level and you think because you're fast like you're going to be better at the next level for some reason i'm like number one most important thing is show me that you could put up the production consistently over a long period of time at the college level and then we can have the fucking discussion about being a good nfl player that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. And um, people miss that all the time. It's like, it just is range of outcomes. And, uh, you know, another guy that, that was there is Josh Jacobs. And boy, Josh Jacobs, I mean, they <laughs> Raiders going to Raider. They get rid of all their offensive linemen, and then they spend money on a backup running back. Did I? What the fuck is going Bro, on? 11 million guaranteed to Kenyon Drake. Like, dude. Take that money and give it to like a give Juju two guards give Juju eleven million for one year or something yeah. like that. That would make it better. But give it to Kenya like, and they're going to say, oh, we're going to use him in the slot more. And I tweeted something out about this a couple of days ago about when coaches talk about using running backs in the slot more. There was I saw yeah, this. this is there good. was five fucking running backs last year that averaged three slot routes per game or more, okay? So not even like three slot receptions, not three slot targets, no. but three slot routes per game. It's like, dude, only five of them average three slot routes. You're going to talk about Kenyon Drake is about to be a slot receiver. Like, he'll get 1.7 slot routes per game, and he'll get one target off that every five fucking games. Like, it's it just That's there's right. so much, like, buzz that goes around Twitter that people don't, don't actually right. know how to use it correctly. So when you start to dive into the research, it's like, all right, Kenyon Drake probably going to get some pat- – at the end of the day, it's like, Jacobs is just not going to be the pass catcher that a lot of people wanted him to be coming out because he was good in college at it, that that we wanted him to be last year because they kept telling us he was getting 60 fucking targets last year. Didn't happen. They're showing us their hand. They're showing us the fact that Jacobs not going to be that guy. I still think he can get 250 carries. I still think he can rush for eight touchdowns or something, but that's what he is. When you draft him, no, you're getting a high floor player that doesn't have a ceiling. That's right. High floor. I mean – mid to high floor, not even a super high Fair. floor because there could be a lot of those games. Like, you know, who here show of hands, everybody, everybody listening, who here likes, you know, 13 carries for 45 yards, two catches for 10 yards in their lineup. Like who the fuck wants that? Love like that. you don't even want that. Like you don't even like, that's so easy to find. It's so easy to just find that. Like you don't need to pay a third or fourth round, you know, pick to get that kind of production from the running back. So I'm with you hundred percent. Every single year I try to find the like, you know, the shiny running backs, the, you know, and, and there are some in that. Sec- I think Chris Carson is 
kind of that last one. And then it's like risk, 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 risk. There may be some upside there. Like I think Miles Sanders, that's one of the reasons I'm kind of targeting him is that I do believe he has like super high upside. Yep. I agree with you. There's a lot of lot of floor problems there. There could be some injury issues. Yeah. Like it, it may not go well, but I think his his ceiling is so much higher than both of those other guys. That's the reason I'm tantalized by him. But after those kind of guys, there's really you know, I just don't want Josh Jacobs on my team. Not because I don't think he's a good football player, but I just don't think he has enough ceiling, even on a weekly basis. Yeah, if your argument starts uh, with to, he's a floor, like he's a high floor player, you probably shouldn't be. T- you should you should only be taking players that you argue for them having a high floor if they fall to you at extreme value. Like if Jacobs starts going around like the fucking you know the, the yeah. five five, the six zero or something like that, then it's like okay because you're getting him as the sixth player on your team, so you could use him in the flex, you could use him wherever. But if you're like, oh, I like him in the fourth round because he's getting getting me a nice sturdy floor it's like bro the players in the fourth round should be giving you very high ceilings yeah and 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 you know just to reiterate your point uh let me just share with you some of the um players who are going in that in that range on on um on on underdog best ball who are wide receivers you know robert woods dj moore chris godwin jamar chase tyler lockett yeah, sign me up all day long for all those guys over Josh Jacobs at value. Give me, you know, I'm just not there. You know, I'd rather get, you know, um, Gus Edwards. <laughs> there you go. You know, mu- no, yeah. really, like, like much later in Zach Moss or something. Like, yeah, I, I, their floors are not as high as Josh Jacobs. I will grant that. Of course not. They're, you know, 10th, 11th round pick, whatever. You know, so, yeah, I, give me Tyler Lockett and, you know, and Gus Edwards versus – you know, Josh Jacobs and whatever wide receiver I can draft in Gus Edwards land. Yeah. I mean, you you just add 50 carries to Gus Edwards and you basically get Josh Jacobs this year, but you're getting it six rounds later. <laughs> the other fucked up That's the exact- other fucked up part about it is like underdogs ADP is so fucking sharp because it's all people yes. in the industry that use it every single day that are shaping the ADP and all the drafts yes. are paid drafts. So it's like everyone's putting yep. money on the line. So they're not fucking around and taking kickers in the sixth round. They're taking players exactly <laughs> where they would be taking them in season long drafts. So you're getting, you're getting first week of September ADP in May and June. So it's hard to find values there. And like when we're saying Josh Jacobs is a fourth round I pick agree. right now, it's like you can't be taking him there, you know? Yeah, I agree. The, 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 the ADP on underdog is super sharp. And that, that's actually why you should take your $10, go put it in there, use undroppables and get your 25 bucks and use it because it's going to make you a better player and everything else. And you just got basically paid to do it. I don't even understand how that works. <laughs> They're going to have to explain it to me. Uh, you know, maybe it's costing me money. Maybe, maybe I'm giving you the 25. I don't know who's giving you the, the 25 bucks. value of a, of a customer. They gave they asked me for my bank account number and my credit card number when they they gave me the promo code to give you guys maybe that's it uh, just just take it as a gift from it's, uh, it's, from it's Mr. coming Falcon. straight out of your bank account actually <laughs> yeah so you know just take that money guys it's worth it um, speaking of taking my money how much fun is it to to push the button for Kyle Pitts uh, how much. Are you doing How much it? Fun is it? Okay. So, Are you doing so it? So I haven't taken. I've I've actually taken a few Kyle Pitts shares in best ball when his ADP was around yes. sixty. Um, but since it's it's shot up about 15 spots, it's like 45 to 48 right now. Yes. And I'm having trouble. I'm there. I'm ha- you are there. Okay. So I <laughs> I don't know if it's smart, but it, it feels good. That's all I can tell you, Nick. I'm just doing it because it feels <laughs> That's good. That's fair. I do think there's an outcome where um, Ridley and Pitts 
see a combined like 52 percent target share and if you know if Ridley's yes. up at like 29 percent and Pitts is even at like 20 to 23 percent that's a really high number for a tight end and yes. in that case it's like yeah like he's going to do a lot with the ball in his hands too so he's going to put up some some gaudy numbers I did just take him in the in a dynasty startup so I, I got bored and I started two separate dynasty startups at the exact same time uh last week or two weeks ago and they're both Scoring setting is tiered PPR. So it's half PPR for running backs, full PPR for wide receivers, 1.5 for tight ends. So, you know, it evens out, it evens out the scoring a little bit. And in the first one that I was drafting, I decided, okay, I'm going to go with a team that not going to compete right out the gate, pretty much all freshman, sophomore, third year players. And at the 301, I took Kyle Pitts and I'm like, okay, give me the 21 year old tight end 1.5 PPR. It's early obviously, but like if I'm good, I'm surprised he was there. I, I agree. To be honest yeah, with you. I, I agree. I had my pick. I think after Travis Kelsey, he was the one available and I took him at the tight end two in dynasty. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, one, if I'm going to take Kyle Pitts anywhere in a league, I feel like a 1.5 PPR league is the one to, to, to push the button on. So like, I mean, long-term, how can you not buy in on this guy? I'm also a Falcons fan. You might not have known that. So, uh, so that makes me, uh, that makes me a little bit nervous because now it could like, it could double stab me, right? Like he could just be bad and then it hurts my team, hurts my dynasty team. It hurts, it hurts like all around, it hurts the heart overall. But, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Kyle Pitts is going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see people die on this sword, whether, uh, whether it goes the right way or the wrong way. Yeah, that makes sense. Being a, a Falcons fan, um, I won't make any jokes. I'm a Patriots fan, but um, you know, it, it's like it's true. As a Patriots fan too, I'm like always fading Pats because it's like I don't know. You just have this sort of thing where you're like, no, it's never going to work out. Like I just fade. I, I seldom own Patriots on my on my roster. Granted, there's not always a fantasy value like the running backs are mercurial. I was about to say, yeah, like we fade, just fade the Patriots it has nothing to do with fandom. I just feel like they're, they're yeah, yeah, it's like double. Yeah. But like as a fan, sometimes you're like so like afraid to be like strident with one of your dudes because then it, it like you said, it double hurts. It's like your fantasy acumen is questioned and you fu- and you're just fucking depressed about it, you know. So yeah, I totally you, get it. You yeah, you, you just pits is out there for like you know forty catches this year, and you're just like, what the fuck, yeah. man? Have you become one of those people that roots more for your fantasy teams than you do for like the your real life NFL team? Not really, because I'm in so many leagues. Um, right. You know, I, you know what I mean. Like, you so have a main league though. I, sure, you know, I have a couple of uh, yeah, and and you know what's funny is like I play with um, you know some people in the industry and Scott Fishbowl's amazing all these different places where you play with like legit dudes and and still it's the home leagues I mean it's you know it's it's still the guys that you really you just want to drill in the needle and just be like you guys fucking suck (laughs) you know uh whereas you you know you don't want to be a dick to people you don't really know as well you know it's way more fun to just you know have the bragging rights and of course you know we play for money too so money plus bragging rights i mean nothing could be yeah my my most intense league actually there's probably a one of my dynasty leagues has become one of the more intense ones but like our our big uh you know our, our big energy league on my channel that we like document everything happening is from my high school yeah. league and we're like this is gonna be like the 13th or 14th year it's a redraft league just very basic rules um but that's like my most intense league. That's the one, you know, I set all my lineups every week, obviously, 
that's the only one that I pay attention to. And I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, like this guy just scored a t- I could be playing against Tyler Lockett in seven leagues, but if I have him in this league and he goes for an 80-yard I touchdown, see, yes. I'm like, let's fucking go. And I found myself yeah. rooting more for my fantasy players on that team than I do for like the Falcons. And I also think it's it's partly because football has <clears throat> almost like become a job for me. So it's like the sport itself has become a little bit less enjoyable from a fan standpoint. And I'm like, I have so much invested in fantasy that I've, become in the minority where it's like fantasy over actual football for me. Well, I think one thing that happens with the, the uh, fantasy gamer is what you're talking about, which is that you start off with one league. Now people play a lot more leagues right off the bat. Like if you, the further back you go, like starting a league was like, first of all, you know, Scott, I heard Scott fish the other day. He was in a league that started in like the midnight or early nineties. And it was like a, a, a touchdown only league because there was no way to fucking keep track. There was no computers. Like there was no email. It didn't exist. Like, like in the nineties, like not that long ago. So some of these first leagues were like, you had to mail in the fucking scores <laughs> yeah. and shit. People you'd receive mail on like Wednesday. Be like, Oh look, I won this. <laughs> like, week. How, how, like completely. Yeah, how fucking old are you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Completely ridiculous. Right. Exactly. It's in the nineties. It's not like that long ago, but now guys get into a lot more leagues more, you know, uh, more quickly. Like, you know, you draft on underdog and all these different things, but you know, it's a little bit more attainable with social media. You can meet people, get in leagues. Like you don't even need to know. It's it's a little easier. You know, FFPC. You can just join a league. You don't know anybody. Um, but back in the day, it was like hard to find. You'd be like, dude, you know anybody that plays fantasy football? So, but anyway, what happens is you get in your fantasy football league, even if you just have one or two teams, and like you know, you've got um, Zach Moss and. Devin Singletary is like just in the game and you're like this fucking coaching staff they don't know what the hell they're doing they got this Singletary get Moss in there (laughs) you know like and you're like what are you talking about you're like oh Moss is the better player and you're like this take has nothing to do with it's really really sick yeah it's like really really sick and I feel like it's not it's not really healthy to be honest I try to stay off no I try to stay off like Twitter on Sundays just because I can't (laughs) I can't stand like people I can't. I actually hate Twitter to begin with, to be honest with you. But Sunday, it's like yeah. a, at an all time low for me. And uh, and everything about fantasy football is like really unhealthy. I feel like for us, <laughs> I just love it. You know, they're like, you know, you 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 know, Gallup, Amari, CD, you know, Jarwin, you know, Zeke, and 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 it's not going to Amari. You're like, why don't they throw Amari? It's their best player. They don't they don't ever target him. It's like the guy's got like five targets in the first half. You're just fucking. You just want every target going his way. So I think that's a little unhealthy. But what happens is when you have five, 10, 15 leagues or whatever. Now I have Amari here and there. I have CD here and there. I have some Gallup. I have. I don't know what I'm cheering for. I don't know actually what I need to have happen right now for my best outcome for all my team. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm just like watching it going, oh, I fucking love CD Lamb. That was a great play. Like I'm sure I have him in a few spots. Go CD. And good, then good Amari good goes, I'm like, oh, I think I have Amari in a few spots. Good for you, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like that's an easier way to sort of enjoy it. I'm not like so pissed that it went to CD instead of Amari. It's a very you know? healthy relationship you have with fantasy football. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm jealous of it. It was the best thing that ever happened because I was guilty of this. Like you just lock on your guys and like everybody else can go straight to hell. And, and it's kind of a fucked up way to watch it. And it does distort your player valuation. Well, it's even worse as like a, a content creator because like all of yes. your takes are documented and not only yes. not only are you invested in the players, but like, you know, a lot of people have a lot riding on the things that you say. So the more intense you get about your takes, like the more people are riding with you on player X or player Y. So it's like you're approaching, you sit down on your couch on Sunday and you're like, okay, 
We're worrying about our own fantasy teams. We're worrying about our real life NFL teams. We're worrying about all the players that we told people to take. And it's just like, Bingo. when does it end? You know, it's sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's right. And I, that's why I think, you know, pragmatism does not sell very well. Like, you know, uh, there are, you know, what the commission or whatever, these guys who are out there like just throwing haymakers. Well, that sells better, but it's not necessarily the best practice. It's not going to win you leagues. But it does it does sell on the social media streets. But it's a, um, short-term, you know, it's a short-term dub in social media, but like it's a long-term L yeah. for like who you are, for your brand, for everything else. Yeah. No, I mean for me, it's like I want to make sure that if I have a strong take, it's it's because I have a strong take, not just, you know, here I am with a strong take and it, you know, uh I don't know, you know, I want to make sure it matters. Um, and so that that's kind of how I approach it. But, you know, I was pretty strong with George Kittle and you know, and Darren Waller and Dalvin cook and, you know, some of the, some of the W's, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's, uh, it's an odd, it's an odd dichotomy. I just, I, I think that like the, the longer I've been in the game, the less, uh, the less I've been serious about my player takes. Like I'm serious about the analysis I do, but I try not to, if, if I know I'm about to go in on a player, I'm like, yo, I really like this guy for the year. I make sure I make the take like as fun as possible. And I'm like, yo, this is my yes. subjective take. Like I love this fucking dude. But at the end of the day, I understand that like strategy overall concept, team building, like roster construction is a much more valuable lesson to teach people so that they could actually be good at fantasy football. Cause it goes back to what I said before. Like it's a coin flip for you to be right on whether or not the RB nine or the RB 10 performs better this year. So it's like, yo, I fucking love this guy. This other guy sucks ass, but just understand I'm like joking about it. And these are the reasons why. And it's like, I don't, I don't actually believe that I have the fucking unlock to a piece of analysis on a player. I, I love this answer, by the way. It's it's in my name, Dino Game Theory, right? So I'd rather sell you a piece of game theory than I would a player X is better than player Y right. because, you know, we could have, like you said, we're all quote unquote wrong about David Montgomery. It's It wasn't like he'll never be able to do it. It was like he might not do it, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, finding processes that work, you know, understanding just what I said about these running backs. It's not that I hate Josh Jacobs or anything. It's that I don't like the value proposition of a running back that looks like that in the third round. I'd rather, you know, hit wide receiver twice in third and fourth round and then see what's there later uh, in the draft with my RB three or four or five, right? You know, like that's not a player eval. That's a, you know, a, a game theory process eval, which I think is more helpful to people because then they can do with that information what they feel is better. Maybe they disagree on player X or player Y, but that bit of information uh, served them well in the decision-making process, which I think is more valuable. 100%. Yeah. It's like I have people still commenting on my videos to this day about how like talking about the injury optimism and talking about stop drafting players who pull their hamstrings like the end of like that, that kind of like system type of drafting and other things like that are what make you a better fantasy player overall. So it's like you focus on that and then just have fun with the other shit. Yes. Speaking of injuries, um, Joe Burrow, um, coming off a huge injury, he's going to be either the giver of fantastic fantasy points, or if he can't play, which we're worried about a guy who had a really, really horrific knee injury. Uh, if he can't, that team has got some issues at the quarterback position, but if he, so I mean, if he plays all 17 or 16 or 17 games, are we too low on Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? I mean, Chase right now, wide receiver 20 ADP on uh, underdog best ball. Higgins, wide receiver 25. 
someone's got to catch 600 of those targets. I uh, I like Higgins more than I like Chase at ADP. Uh, Higgins, Me too. Higgins feels like uh, kind of these running backs that we were talking about, how we don't really know if the ceiling is there, but going to be a very high floor player. Um, and yeah. with wide receivers, it's like there are very, very few fantasy wide receivers that will actually move the needle. Like wide receiver eight to wide receiver 25 are usually separated by like three points per game. So it's like you get T Higgins yep. and he falls into that wide receiver 18 ranking or whatever. And that's where he finishes. Like, that's fine. Like I, I like floor. Yes. I like floor at wide receiver. Um, I like wide receivers. You know, in the top six, of course, because those guys will win you a couple, a uh, couple leagues or a couple weeks or whatever. But at, for the most part, the wide receiver position has kind of been devalued so, uh, so highly in fantasy football that like floor players are fine at the position. I like Higgins. I'm more. I am worried about Burrow. I'm worried about Burrow for a few reasons. It's like the reason people loved Burrow coming out is you know, oh, he's sneaky, underrated in the athleticism department, right? He's going to run around a lot he's going to be coming off a really serious injury where he's probably not going to be that mobile. And this uh, offensive line is just still not good, right? They didn't, they yeah. didn't draft Sewell. They're still going to have a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow, which is going to equal a lot of hits. He was like top three in terms of uh, quarterback hits last year. If he gets hit wrong on that leg again, you know, could lead to another injury. And I'm, I'm like really nervous about that because like the reason we're drafting quarterbacks a little bit higher now is because we have so many, so many mobile quarterbacks in the top 10, right? Like all these guys are exciting. It's like you have Josh Allen and Herbert who are like breaking out and showing their big arm, but like Josh Allen also adds a lot of rushing to his game. And I think that's the reason why we were so high on burrow, but I'm not sure we're actually going to see that this year. You know what I mean? So it's like now you're getting uh, an above average thrower with good weapons, but should he be the quarterback eight? I feel like he should be more in that like quarterback 12, 13, 14 ish range. If we're not going to get the rushing from him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a volume play, but it's a dangerous one. Mm-hmm. I, I I would likely be fading uh, Joe Burrow at ADP right now, but <clears throat> in so far as he affects his weapons, if he can stay healthy, you know that, that offensive line. Brad Wire over at the Undroppables uh, has them as the twenty eighth ranked offensive line, so not very yeah. good. You know, teams like uh, the you know Texans, Jets, and Steelers behind him. Uh, we're gonna get there too, boy. but um, the the they're 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 depending upon Jonah Williams and Riley Reef. You know, Jonah Williams coming back from injury, Riley Reef coming back from retirement, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so those are their tackles, and if those two guys, you know, play to their ceiling, they could be okay. They could be a middle of the road offensive line. If if they don't, that's a that's a very bad offensive line and a lot of trouble for Joe Burrow and his health. Um, but I, I, I still think if he can stay healthy for a little, you know, long enough, or hopefully he's healthy for the whole goddamn time. But you get my point. Like uh, it's a little bit concerning. But if he stays healthy, I think uh, Jamar Chase and uh, T Higgins have. I think they do have ceiling um, because you know I think you know between them six hundred targets. I mean, even if you give you know Tyler Boyd one hundred and thirty targets. And, you know, um, Joe Mixon, 80, which probably neither are going to hit that. There's still a ton of targets to go around. There's not a tight end of consequence. I think both of these guys are kind of a lock for 125 or more targets. Um, They should be throwing a lot in in garbage time. So there could be some empty calories late in games. And T. Higgins is a touchdown score. I mean, he's a big, uh, you know, red zone weapon. So I I really like T. Higgins heading in this season. I'm just hopeful that the line is good enough i'm just i mean average would be good for me right now yeah so you are you taking higgins over chase redraft no you know i i'm taking him at adp i think you know it's chase is interesting too because like because they're so like his ceilings there too like 
what what if Chase sees 150 targets? Like, I mean, it, that's not out of the question. I mean, AJ Green saw 108 or 110 targets in that offense last year. I'm not saying you, you you don't. It doesn't work like this. You don't just give him his targets. But I'm just saying those are vacated. Those are opportunities for him. I think I think he easily steps into 100 targets, which creates floor. I think the ceiling is like. I don't know exactly how high I don't know, dude. I, I, I like can't buy into the ceiling. I know it's there, but I like I have a I have a hard time actually believing that it's there outside of know. like us saying like, oh, you know, like he could hit 150 targets is like, ah, that's 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 a really fucking high number for a rookie. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm just saying like, you know, it's not like, oh, it can't happen. No, there's no possible way. They've already got this, that and the other kittles there, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, there's certain times where it's just like, no, nah, I think the ceiling is 110, 120, but you know, like even when CeeDee Lamb went to Dallas, I thought his ceiling just got capped, you know, a little bit, especially in year one. But even right now, like, you know, there's Gallup, Amari, Jarwin, Pollard, Zeke, you know, like there's going to be targets that get that get spread around in that offense. Whereas, you know, in in, in Cincinnati, where I think they're going to throw it a ton, they're going to have to, I believe, you know, I just don't think they're going to be able to just run all over people. That doesn't seem to make very much sense. I don't think the defense is elite yet. So that that's going to be a problem. I think they're going to be in shootouts. Uh, they showed a proclivity to pass in neutral situations last year. Um, I just think that's what it's going to be. And so therefore they've got to go somewhere and it feels very concentrated to those three wide receivers. Uh, Joe Burrow has stated he likes as, as many sort of wide receivers out in the, in the, in the pattern as possible. So you could see Auden Tate or someone like that out there as well, mm-hmm. uh, sort of drawing coverage and maybe Jamar chase in the slot, uh, you know, if there's two slots, you know, like four wide, I don't know, man, there's just a lot of possibilities in that offense. And, but I, I think the floor is there. I don't think they drafted him fifth overall to be like, you know, a 60 target guy. Just that doesn't even feel possible to me unless there's an injury, of course. So I think if he's healthy for 17 games, Jamar chase, that is, I mean, the floor has to be a hundred plus, even maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. I mean, listen, the last time the Bengals took a, a wide receiver this high in the draft, his name was AJ green. And that, and that turned Ooh. out pretty fucking well. Yeah, it did. Hey, we, we, I mentioned it. The thirty second off, the thirty second ranked offensive line by Brad Wire is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, okay. They at least hey, look here's the here's the positive here in Pittsburgh. They've got a young mobile quarterback who's going to be. What? <laughs> nope, nope. They're telling me I'm wrong about that. What the what, fuck are what they? What an doing? unbelievable producer you have to to, to jump in and let you know. <laughs> That's right. I mean, what's going on here, uh, Nick? Tell the people what what I mean, because I'm fading this this Pittsburgh team in a big way. 32nd ranked offensive line with a 39 year old statue quarterback who's been hurt doesn't sound like a good recipe to me. Uh, they do have Dwayne Haskins in in the you know in the holster, so they're fine at quarterback. Beautiful. Is it possible that is it possible to get worse than Big Ben? Like it, it, it ha- like there's no way Haskins is better than Big Ben right now. So I, there's no there's no going up there. Yeah, possible. the offensive line's a big problem. I uh, this is another like subjective take of mine. I I love Deontay Johnson as a player. I think he's one of the purest route runners, and I think uh, like yes. you don't just luck your way into 145 targets. He's like the clear alpha there. And when you look at his per game numbers in the games where he didn't leave early with injuries, they're like really really elite type volume numbers. Um, the drops are obviously concerning but i saw something that hayden winks that you mentioned earlier today he put out like a little study he did where he went through every like wide receiver statistic and category uh and their correlation to fantasy points the following year and literally like the top ones are were uh fantasy points per game obviously correlates to being 
good in fantasy again the next year. Total yards per right. game, uh, which also makes sense because, you know, we can't predict touchdowns, but yards are a prediction of, you know, your your production overall and how good you are. And he found drops to actually be a negative correlation. They don't they don't correlate whatsoever to how good you're going to be in fantasy um, the following year. So Deontay Johnson, I still think that makes perfect. Yeah, sense. I still think Deontay Johnson's in line to be the wide receiver one there. I am not a fan of Juju. He's there's just no shot. I'm, I'm taking him anywhere. Uh, but I'm, I'm also very aware that this could be like just like a shit offense. This could be an offense where Deontay Johnson's numbers drop from 145 targets down to 125. And then like if they're all short passes, what is that going to fucking equate to? Um, so I'm not drafting. I'm, I'm, I'm not drafting Claypool. He, you know, he, the problem with Claypool is like as a player, you look at his talent as a ceiling type player. Like you see Claypool and you're like, the ceiling is so large, but the offense is going to uh, it's going to prevent him from being in the ceiling because they were such a a high pass volume team last year. Like you can't go up from what it was last year. His target share, like his targets overall, you look at a rookie and you're like 110 targets. Like that's some serious fucking numbers to command that target share was down around 16%, which was like number 60 among wide receivers. So when you're talking about relative to the offense, wasn't really that impressive. And when I look at it, I'm like, okay, you were second in passing rate last year, like 40 fucking two pass attempts a game. You draft a 225 pound running back in the first round. Guess what happens to those passing numbers? Like they come down because the rushing numbers are going to go way up. Is Najee Harris going to be efficient? Like probably not, but it doesn't spell no. good for Juju. It doesn't spell good for Chase Claypool. It probably doesn't spell good objectively for Deontay Johnson either. I just love him as a player and I want to think that he'll have a big year just because all he does is separate from fucking defensive backs. Najee Harris, uh, I really like Najee Harris, man. I just think that uh, talent, Me too. talent plus opportunity is a pretty good cocktail for fantasy football. Uh, efficiency. Yep. It is. Efficiency is, is, is tough to see it being a high number, but man, what if he just, what if he's a rookie that gets 65 targets and 280 carries? Like, I think that's like almost in the books. The, you know? my, my question is like, how valuable are those? Like, I, I just, this team scares the bejesus out of me. Like, I do love everything that you said. I agree with almost everything you said. I, I do think Juju's a little bit better than maybe you're giving him credit for. But look, Deontay saw 144 targets in basically 13 games. I mean, he played 15, but a few of them he, like, was in and out right. of. So, I mean, that's incredible. Like, that dude was pacing 175 targets for a 17-game schedule. Um, that's pretty damn good. So you're right. Targets are earned. He's earned them. He's a hell of a route runner. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, I just don't, I just don't know. I mean, the, the downfield throwing stuff was not very good for Ben last year. Uh, you know, he had a couple of big plays, but you look, you know, Chase Claypool kind of created some of those. I don't know if they're there for him this year. I don't know, man. I am super, super nervous there. You know, Najee Harris coming onto the team doesn't make them a better running team. It just, gives them a better running back behind a shitty offensive line. Like that's not how you run the football. Like you could have the worst running back in the league behind the best offensive line will, will produce more rushing yards than the you know best running back behind the worst offensive line. I mean, that, that's been proven out. Um, you know, the running backs help on the margins, of course, but I'm just concerned. It's, it could be like a three and a half, four yard per carry type of season for him. And yeah, 250 to 350 carries for sure. Um, and the targets, I would think he'll get targets. You're right. Yeah. But again, oh, yeah, yeah. I just don't I know. know. Like Connor, Connor and Benny Snell combined for like 10 rushing touchdowns last year, 300 receiving yards, like 1,100 rushing yards. And obviously he's not going to take 100% of that production. But I'm like, those two backs who are basically just the trash version of, of, 
Ben Roethlisberger at this point in their careers. Like, why can't Najee Harris, like a, a springy, fucking big, juicy, talented pass catcher, you know, put up what they did yes. last year, maybe plus. And yeah, maybe he's more of a floor play, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a ceiling. Like, what if the touchdowns? He has. Yeah. Ceiling. What if the touchdowns do break right for him? <laughs> what if he ceiling. catches 50 passes and and he rolls his yep. way into nine rushing touchdowns? Like, that's going to be a really big yeah. fantasy year. Yeah, he's going to get every opportunity. He's going to get goal line. He's going to be third down. He's going to get it all. So the opportunity makes him a, a you know a smash wherever he is. I mean, he's going to give you weekly production one way or the other. I mean, even if he has games where he's like um, you know uh, eighteen carries for fifty two yards, he likely has a touchdown. He likely has five to seven targets. Like, yeah, it's not just going to be those carries where you're like on a weekly basis. You're looking at him going. Yeah, no tar. He's not Derrick Henry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if Derrick Henry were on this team, you'd be like, dude, they're not going to target him. The offensive line sucks. Yeah, he's a monster. But Najee Harris is different. I'm not saying he's better than Derrick Henry. I'm just saying he's a different player. And he does provide you passing game work, which I think they're going to have to pass because I don't think they're going to be able to in, uh, impose their will with the, the running attack. So they're going to be resigned to throwing the football. Thankfully, their defense is good. So we'll see how this all plays I was about out. To say, I mean, every game it, might, it might be like 15 to 10 every single week. And it might just be like, the which is not good for fantasy. It's horrible. You know, so I don't know. I, it's just, there's a lot of like red flags here that I'm just a little bit nervous. And, you know, I just, I, you know, a pot I did, I don't know, about a month ago, I was just finding like, it was like, I forget the players. It was like Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, T Higgins, you know, ahead of they were all going right around the same spots as the three, you know, the Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson and Juju. And I, it was like, I think I preferred all of those guys over all of the Pittsburgh guys. Just, you know, I, I just find there's better values in and around their ADP at wide receiver than those guys. Not to say that they're not good, just that little less uh, uncertainty with the, with some of their players. Uh, but that's just that's just my opinion, man. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, it's definitely a risky situation, dude. You know, one of the other spots I think that is kind of interesting and, you know, uh, is Los Angeles Rams. And uh, I was a huge Cam Akers fan, you know, as he was coming out of college uh, last year. He was hurt, hurt his rib and broke his rib, couldn't play for most of the season. When he finally got back in, it was clear that McVeigh viewed him as an alpha. That that much we know that, you know, McVeigh views him as an alpha, which I think is good enough for me going forward. However, his price tag, man, I got to be like, I f- it's almost like watching my son. I'm like, go boy, go. Like, <laughs> it's so cool. But that price tag is steep. He is going right after that elite tier, you know, JT, Derek Henry, Kamara, Zeke, right after that like little run. Like he's the next running back off the board, sometimes and oftentimes ahead of Tyreek Hill and all the wide receivers and you know Kelsey like he's right there um that's a that's a real price tag but my question to you is I mean he I feel like he has RB1 overall upside and I tweeted almost half jokingly I think when he came out as a rookie I said just remember in two years when he's the 1.01 in dynasty remember where you heard it and I I mean damn that 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 tweet is starting to sound pretty prophetic uh does he have that kind of upside he does I I also think that um he has the best outside shot to finish as the RB one overall this year in fantasy football, because you made a point about five minutes ago where you said like the worst running back in football behind a great offensive line is going to be better than a very good running back behind a shit offensive line. And it takes uh, like a a lot of things to be the RB one overall in fantasy football. And I think when you look at acres, situation, 
he I don't know if there's a box that he doesn't check. That doesn't mean it'll all work out. That doesn't mean he'll be good this year. Correct. But in order to be the RB1 overall, like you have to check every single box because everything needs to break right. And he's got all the ingredients. It depends what the bartender fucking does with the ingredients that, you know, produces the cocktail. <laughs> yeah. So you look at a few things. One, the offense. They're going to be a good offense under Sean McVay. They're going to be a good offense because they have Matt Stafford. So you're running behind a good quarterback. Yep. That's like check number one, offensive system. Check number two, offensive line. Sneaky, sneaky. McVay, a lot of people like to call him like a fake sharp now. McVay has done such a good job like retooling this offense and reinventing them every fuck. It's almost half a every half of a year. He reinvents his fucking offense and puts them in different directions. And their offensive line when he first got on there, horrible flipped into like the best in the league then they got bad again and now last year per pff they were like number four or five in run blocking grade overall so you're talking about acres who is a super talented running back behind a really good offensive line with a really good quarterback really good offensive scheme one that can catch passes like we know he can catch passes you look at last offseason too like McVay told us what they wanted to do at the running back position. He's like, we're going to use a committee the whole year. And what did they do? They used the fucking committee this offseason. The chirping's a little different out there in uh, in L.A. They're talking about Cam Akers, three down guy, won't come off the field. Like if they told us what they were going to do last year and it happened, why are we talking about fading what they're saying this year? You know what I mean? I just think everything lines up as long as he can get you know, 60 to 65% of the carries. This is going to be an offense that presents a lot of goal line opportunities for him. I mean, we saw him average 20, 22 opportunities a game over the last six weeks of the season last year. I don't know, dude. The only thing I could, the only, the only reason why I feel like people are hesitant was because he wasn't very efficient on those uh, 20 plus touches that he got over the last six weeks of the season. But again, like if we know someone's going to get this volume and this type of offense, you could roll your way into a top fantasy finish. Yeah, well said. And and a lot of that inefficiency was noise because he didn't have a lot of um <clears throat> a lot of great blocking for him. Uh you know, they were they were crowding the box. They knew Jared Goff couldn't beat him down the field. That this year that changes. Uh hopefully their offensive line is still healthy. I mean, Andrew Whitworth over at left tackle, I think he's older than me. <laughs> um, you know, it's crazy out there, man. That, I I wish that dude all the best. I hope he is is uh is awesome. Where, where uh, this does your guy have he, the uh, the Rams offensive 20th. line? 20th. Okay, okay. 20th. And I think that's fair. I think they're middle of the road. They they But they have a chance if they stay healthy to be better than that, right? So I think they have a chance to be a top 15 offensive line. If they can just be good, be adequate, and and, and open up a few holes, I, I agree with you. And 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 um, uh, Cam Akers is going to be the, the, the lead back. And I remember when Daryl Henderson came out and Sean McVay said something that was pretty interesting because – they still had Gurley at the time. They still had Malcolm Brown. And and he said, I, I sort of view um, Daryl Henderson as the Camara type. I remember he sort of said that. And I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, and, and I, we sort of all viewed him at that time as the replacement to Gurley. You know, oh, Gurley's going to move on. Henderson's going to come in. And then they draft Akers. And now it sort of lines up where Akers is that lead back. And I think he's going to use Daryl Henderson as that sort of, you know, uh, uh, satellite back to acres. And I think it's going to actually give them great balance, but I think it's going to be like 75, 25, 70, 30, something like that, you know, we're in favor of acres and, and in that offense with Matt, Matt Stafford. And, you know, that division is tough. It's not like they're just going to be able to sit on the ball uh, in most of these games. They're going to have to push the pace against San Francisco, against Seattle, against Arizona. Um, I think there's going to be points to be scored. And I agree with you. I think Cam Akers is a, is a supreme talent that, that much I believe. And when you put that talent with that opportunity, that system, 
uh, and hopefully some targets. You know, that's really what I think will push him up. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned CMC earlier being the king. You're right. What's the reason? The hundred targets. I, I mean, mean we also have like a history of like when they had we we've seen both the head coach and the quarterback give its running backs. Uh, it's this is not like Lamar Jackson where we're just hoping J.K. Dobbins gets targeted. Correct. We've seen five seasons of even last year. Uh, DeAndre Swift, if he had he played a full sixteen, would have gotten sixty-five to seventy targets. We we saw Theo Riddick get eighty targets for three straight years with Stafford. We've seen Todd Gurley get yep. eighty to ninety targets under Sean McVay. So we have precedent yes. here for it to hap- happen with Acres. And you also brought up a point where like you know he was behind Jared Goff. And if you go to PlayerProfiler.com and you pull up Cam Akers' profile, you go down to the bottom section where it says formation specific average defenders in the box seven point three fifth highest among all NFL running backs stacked front carry. What did I just say? Yes, Boom. Exactly. He's got the stats to back up my nonsense. Yes. I love there it. you go. Stacked front carry rate. Um, also very, very high among running backs. So like the, every time he was on the field, they were not playing for Jared Goff. They were playing for Cam Akers. They were <laughs> playing right. for the run game because no team needs to respect Jared Goff as a quarterback. You have Stafford there and things are a little bit different. It's a little bit different for sure. And, and, you know, Stafford is, you know, he's a gunslinger, like, right. Like, so he is not afraid to throw the ball downfield. He's got a big arm. I'm a little bit concerned. I hope he stays healthy too, because he's had those back issues and stuff like that. I, you know, God bless that guy, uh, his whole family, because yeah. he had some health issues with his wife and stuff. Yeah. God bless him. I mean, I hate injuries. I hate him. So hopefully, hopefully Matt, Matt Stafford can stay healthy and, and we'll see Cam Akers upside uh, come to fruition. Um, I suppose, why don't we just, you know, it wasn't on the show sheet. We hadn't talked about it, but, uh, I'd love to talk about Jonathan Taylor while we're here with Cam Akers, because I was a Jonathan Taylor 1.01. Like I had him 1.01 and super flex, no matter what Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, now it's like, well, of course the price tag is so much higher. He's a top five startup pick. He's top five, six, uh, redraft best ball. Like he, his price tag is super high. They do have Naheem Hines. They do have uh, Marlon Mack maybe coming back. I don't know if the opportunity is going to be as gaudy as it was toward the end of last year. I think the talent's there. I think it's better to have Carson Wentz than Phil. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it's interesting. I'm not sure if this is a better situation this year than last year. I'm not fading him, but um, you know, at, at value, he's a little bit of a scary pick, don't you think? Uh, I, yes, I do think think so. I do also think that we have examples of what we can expect from Jonathan Taylor. Like when we've, we've talked about Henry and we've talked about Zeke already this year, when you look at why those players have been really good in fantasy football, it's because of the offensive line. And I mean, they're good players obviously, but their offensive line gives them, it's about the offense and it's about the offensive line. Like the Colts were, I want to say they were the eighth highest scoring offense in the NFL last year. Like you don't think of them as a high scoring offense, but if you're going to be top 10 in scoring, like you're going to give this guy a lot of goal line opportunities. He was sharing time last year with these other guys and still finished with a high number of goal line opportunities. I think most of them will be his this year. So when you draft a guy like Taylor, I, you just need to know you're not drafting him for a C-Mac or a Dalvin Cook upside. You're drafting him to be what Derrick Henry was last year or the year before or Zeke during his first two years where you want him to get 280, 315 carries and he's going to bust off a few long home run touchdowns and he's going to get 80% of the goal line work. So it's like you, you – and he's got the offensive line. Like that's the biggest thing. Like the guys who hit in those running only type big fantasy seasons – they always have top five run blocking lines. And we know that the Colts are going to have that this year. So I think like, yes, it's not as exciting because we don't think the pass catching work is going to be there, but we've seen the success that we can have with guys that are just really good running the ball. 
Yeah, and and the, I'm just hoping that they continue to target Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor was the most prolific on a per touch basis pass catcher in his college class. I mean, he was dope coming out of college. Now, Wisconsin never threw the football, so he didn't have a lot of opportunities. But in his opportunities, he was ripping touchdowns, and he did it last year too. Like he caught a few. He was like, I think he caught like 32 of 35 targets or something like that. He at one point, I think he only had one target he didn't catch. Uh, way late in the season. Like he was very efficient. And then when he touches the ball in the open field, like dude is a dude is in, you're in danger. You in danger, girl. (laughs) Like you are in danger. Like, right. He is coming at you. He's faster than you. He's stronger than you. Like he'll run you over. Like he, he, he's a threat to take it to the house. And so I, I do love him in that passing game just because, you know, that gives him an opportunity to break big, big plays. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, the upside might not be elite like we like his talent profile says it is. But as soon as the opportunity pops up and, and that does become the case, then he will be up there with the Jonathan or the uh, C-Max and the Dalvin Cooks. But for right now, just know what you're getting. And it is a mid RB1 that's going to produce at a really high level on the ground. Goal line, rushing attempts, high yards per carry, wildly efficient. But yes, like I, I, you could sit there and say, like, listen, Jonathan Taylor is going to split time with Naeem Hines, maybe Marlon Mack a little bit. Like yeah. you could sit there and objectively say he's going to be a 63 to 65% snap guy and also be like, yo, he'll probably be an RB1. Like both things can be true at the yeah. same time. That's right. And there's no there's no guarantee that Marlon Mack comes back from an Achilles either. So, you know, that's a little bit of wishful thinking. I, I think it's probably JT all day and that offensive line is dope. They're going to sort of piece piece together a left tackle until Eric Fisher's back. I think they're going to be really good on that left side. Uh, with you know Ryan Kelly at center, Quentin Nelson, and then Eric Fisher, if he can come back fully healthy, that's going to be a very very strong left side. Um, you know, and Wentz is a wild card. I think he does bring something there. You know, you got me thinking. It was on the it was on the show sheet, so we'll talk about it. But like you, you got me thinking about these top offensive lines, and if I'm looking at Brad Wire's top offensive lines at the number two spot, it's uh, Cleveland, and of course Chubb's a stud. At number four, it's uh, New Orleans, and Camara's a stud. Five is uh, you know the uh, the Colts, and JT's a stud. But if I look at that number one offensive line, it is the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks. Really, and okay. you know Tom Brady is going to take advantage of that offensive line, throwing to weapons all over the place. Somebody, maybe this isn't true. Does somebody? emerge from that backfield as fantasy worthy so the way i've approached this and the way i probably will approach this will be um in best ball drafts i like both leonard fournette and ronald jones so you can get leonard fournette in like the eighth ninth and then if i miss him and i get jones in like the 10th or 11th fine with it i think the overall strategy here is that like you just want a piece of this backfield because they are going to be so fucking good and efficient on offense that they might have you know, maybe not one of them takes 60% of the goal line carries, but they probably will present these running backs with like 25 to 30 goal line opportunities on the year. And that could be huge numbers. I lean Fournette. Like if I have to take one of them straight over, I'll, I'll probably take Fournette um, in redraft leagues. Like if I can get him in the eighth round for sure, because back to what we said before, I think like talent wise, maybe Rojo's a little bit better of an early down runner, but like in terms of like full, no full skill set, like I maybe Fournette gets a little bit more because he's better in the pass catching game. Um, so it's like, I think they both have proved that they're almost equally as good at football as, as the other one is. So give me the athletic profile in different ways, right? In different ways. Yeah. In different so ways. Me, yeah. You've proven you're good yeah. at football. Now give me the athletic profile that gives me upside. And I think that comes with Fournette because he's a pass catcher and he's got breakaway speed. So I like Fournette. Um, I, I don't really envision anyone taking over as the workhorse, but like over the last 
six games of the season or whatever, when things fucking mattered, Fournette's workload was massive and he was scoring touchdowns. Yeah. He scored six touchdowns in their final six games. He was getting like 18 to 20 touches a game. And I'm like, bro, this is Ronald Jones. Like wasn't banged up. I don't believe. And Fournette came over as the guy, they re-signed him. Like they gave him money. They could have let him walk if they thought Ronald Jones was just as good yeah. as he was. So I'm, I'm on Fournette for sure. Yeah, me too. A little bit. I, it's kind of nerve wracking, I, but I guess at cost, it's fine. If he doesn't pan out, whatever, move on. But if he does, he, he was setting records in the playoffs. Like, you know, I don't remember what it was like most yards or, I mean, it was unbelievable. Like he was, he was really good. Yeah. And so he's not a very good, you know, sort of between the tackles runner. He doesn't have a lot of, you know, lateral quickness. I mean, he can't make people miss so much in there, but like, he's still very fast. He's a very skilled pass catcher. And apparently Tom Brady trusts him. Otherwise he's, his ass wouldn't have been out there. Like that's a fact. If Tom didn't trust him, he definitely would not have been out. Yeah, there. I'm so surprised to hear that. That goes to be honest, but if you, right? yeah, if you look at okay, so I'm looking at the playoff numbers right now, and here here is his touch count starting in the wild card week, uh, 23 or oppor- let's go opportunities 23, 23, 19, 20. So his lowest opportunity number over the last four weeks, just in the playoffs, was 19. I'm like, bro, you're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. give an, uh, a running back 19 opportunities behind your guys's number one ranked offensive line behind Tom Brady, who's going to fucking run up a $30, 30 point check every time they step out onto the field. Like, I mean, it, it just feel, feels like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's going to emerge. Might as well take a shot on each of them. Um, but I'd go with the guy with the pass catching upside, which is uh Fournette. I'm with you hundred percent. You know, the other, the other, uh, squad in there is the Patriots and, um, does I guess this spells upside for Damian Harris? Is that the way you're viewing this? And are, are you are you taking Damian Harris? Yeah, I actually do like Damian Harris a lot. I think there's a, a good chance he emerges as the one. I, I think one I've, over the second half of last season, he was the one. He was averaging over like 15 carries yeah. a game. The problem again is like we can't. I don't think you could just like wishfully say like, oh, he's going to get targets this year because he's just probably not going to get them. But I do right. think this That's this problem. offense is going to be a lot better, right? Like I think Cam. I think Cam is going to be the starter for I, – I don't imagine Mac Jones is going to get on the field very early. I think Cam is going to be – I think Cam's going to be way better this year than he was last year. And I think people are going to be surprised by that. Mm-hmm. They add weapons to the team. Um, they're getting a lot of guys back from like COVID that opted out, I remember, early. So I just think the team overall is going to be better. Um, their offensive line just continuously puts up good players onto the field and they produce that well. And Damian Harris is a guy – he reminds me of like a Josh Jacobs or, or those guys who yep. doesn't do anything flashy, doesn't do anything good. But when you have good vision, when you have like pretty good burst, like he does, he's very good burst score. Uh, when you talk about like his athletics and stuff, that's that's a good combination because that turns like three yard carries into eight, nine, 10, 12 yard chunks. And after 14 to 15 carries, like you look at the box score and you're like, oh, I didn't realize Damian Harris had 89 yards and a touchdown or whatever. And I feel like we're going to get more more often than not games like that from him. I think you're right on the money. I think Damian Harris is the sort of. Uh, Josh Jacobs arbitrage pick in a, a few rounds later, you know, pick up some of your uh, elite wide receivers and then, you know, push the button for Damian Harris. The upside is there, man. Touchdown upside is huge. I mean, in a, in a Cam Newton led offense where they're doing that RPO stuff where, you know, that offensive line is a bunch of bulldogs, man. They're going to run downhill on people and beat the hell out of you. And with the two tight ends in there, and I, I just think that they're they're going to play. I, I, w- I said to Evan Silva when I had him on the pod, like they were trying to win a rock fight, and they were able to do so in some ways. But that defensive front was just, you know, ravaged. Well, now they, you know, add Barmore, add Judon, add Hightower, add Van Noy. Like they they definitely fixed the defensive front 
So their secondary was very good. So now they have a great secondary, great defensive front, or at least improved defensive front. It could be great. And that offensive line is great. The tight ends are definitely great. The wide receivers aren't very good, but actually Jacoby Myers probably a little bit better than most people think. And Nelson Aguilar played pretty well last year. So, you know, I think they'll be good enough. And I don't think they're going to win by throwing to wide receivers. They're going to win by running downhill, play action pass. And it's going to be a very unique style of, of, of winning in an NFL that is a, a spread and shred league right now. They're not going to do any of those things. They're just going to run downhill and punch you in the mouth. And and from what I can see, they, they were very successful at it last year. I think they'll be good at it again this year. Yeah, you also have to like, I don't want to project too much, but going back to last year, Damian Harris was getting all the starter snaps in the preseason. And then he hurt his, uh, I don't remember what he hurt. It was his shoulder or his knee or something. And he was put on the IR for the first bunch of weeks of the season. So like he probably would have been the starter going into the year. He comes off in the first game yeah. back. He rips off like a hundred rushing yards against the Kansas city chiefs. And like, he's the guy. And then he gets hurt again. And finally he catches a little bit of mojo and then becomes the guy over the second half of the season. So had all that stuff not broke the wrong way for him in the first half, we could have been looking at him as, as like the actual workhorse for the entirety of the year. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I, I think he's, um, you know, he was he was pretty efficient. I mean, five yards a, a, a carry. So I think the offense suits him. I think that that sort of, you know, downhill running uh, RPO style with Cam is it suits him well, man. He just he hits it and goes. I mean, as you pointed out, he's a burst uh, running back. He's not a, a a shifty guy. He's not a little quick scatter ba- uh, back. He's he's a burst guy with with a little bit of weight behind him and. You know, he's just going to get what the defense is giving. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of boring actually to watch in a lot of ways. Like they're not exactly that exciting, but I think when you add in the two tight ends, you know, they, they played a lot of tight ends last year, go back and look at their snaps. Like, uh, Izzo, Izzo played like, I don't remember. It was a ton of like eight, 900 snaps last year and had like four targets. It was, (laughs) you know, they, they wanted to play the tight ends. They just, you know, he couldn't catch a cold, you know, so there was just that was not part of it. But now you add Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Boy, oh boy, that's a huge upgrade. And if they can if they can win with that sort of running downhill play action style, it it could be very effective. So I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic as a Pats fan. But I think that does spell opportunity for um, Damian Harris. Problem was he saw seven targets last year. He's not involved in the passing game. And we, like you said, you can't just be like, oh, he's going to get him, man. Like, no, he probably won't, <laughs> yeah. you know? So that's a concern. Yeah, there's so many players like that. I think after playing this game for so long, like just because you think a guy's a good pass catcher does not fucking equate to targets. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like they show you what they want to use. And the Pats have been the team most vocal about how they don't want to throw their targets to uh, running backs that they use on early downs. That's right. It's, it's, it's age old. Tale as old as time, yeah. right? Uh, and speaking of running backs that we wish would catch passes, Baltimore Ravens, and we'll probably finish here. But Baltimore Ravens, I I think um, I think Lamar comes back and and hits hits pretty big this year. Um, the offensive line was an issue last year. They weren't able to. I, I had mentioned it early in the year. They they basically changed the way they played because they were so um, devoid of talent up the middle at, at the guard and center position. They, they usually like to just run downhill. Like I was talking about with the Pats and they were sort of unable to do that. So they were basically pressing the edge on every run and they finally got good at it, but it just, you know, it wasn't the same. They had no offensive weapons, you know, it was Des Bryant and Willie Sneed and, you know, a a, a, a fake alpha and, and San Bernardino Brown, who's a, a great lid lifter, but not, not necessarily an alpha. Now they bring in, who could very well be an alpha is Rashad Bateman. And 
we can all insert joke here, but Sammy Watkins on the other side um, is a pro. Uh, he's better than you know Des Bryant last year and whatever the hell Willie Sneed ever was. So I mean, you know, you're you're adding talent around him. The offensive line got way better. The um, and, and now we've got J.K. Dobbins. Um, he's still not going to see. He's still not going to see targets, and that's a problem. Um, but does Lamar return to form? Yeah, I, I think I have Lamar up at like quarterback two. So I wouldn't surprise yeah, me, me whatsoever if he ends up being the, three. Yeah, like the if he's a quarterback one, would anyone be surprised? I mean, listen, like no. two years removed from leading the NFL in passing touchdowns. It wasn't like a, a monster number. It was 35. But like he did that with a rookie Marquise Brown who had a fucking screw in his foot. Like Hayden Hurst was like his third <laughs> leading target guy on the team. So, I mean, Lamar Jackson did it two years ago. It's not out of the range of outcomes for him to be like a very good passer again, efficiency at least. And uh, we know the running is there. He's got a floor of a thousand rushing yards. He's done it two years in a row. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see how um, he finishes outside of his like quarterback six ADP. It makes no sense. Are you, uh, are you, what, what are you doing with, with, um, with Bateman and dynasty? I love Bateman and dynasty. I, uh, in, in the league, I was actually telling you about where I went with Kyle Pitts. I also took Bateman. Um, I was on the turn. I don't remember what pick it was at, but I, I definitely scored Bateman. Cause I was like, I need a share of this guy. I I'm in love with the, him as a talent. And I was, um, I think he's Justin Je- when I when I watch him on the film, I'm like, this dude is Justin Jefferson. He's like he's he's mm. he's someone who just cuts you up short and medium, uh, short and medium intermediate routes. It's just like you can't you can't cover the guy. And those those equate to huge chunk plays. And I don't know. I I love Rashad Bateman. I think he'll be the alpha sooner rather than later. Um, I think a lot of the time quarterbacks are as good as their weapons are. And I think a lot of people yes. talk about it in the reverse uh, in the reverse. But. I don't know. I'm 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 kind of torn on that. I'm kind of split on that. I think both can make the other one good, right? Because when you're a quarterback and you don't have a weapon that you trust, like what are you doing in third down situations? What are you doing in tight situation? Do you actually want to throw the ball deep to a guy that you don't trust? Like probably not. When you have a guy that you do in Rashad Bateman getting separation at the line of scrimmage, getting separation 15 yards down the field, it's like why can't this guy take 25 percent of the targets? Well, let me tell you, Tom Brady was washed the year before <laughs> he threw 50 touchdowns. Tom, Tom Brady's washed uh, every year, you know, bro. Yeah, I mean, he was washed. He was washed when he left the Patriots. People were wondering if he could play. And then you give him Godwin and Evans, and he's, you know, 40 touchdowns. So, yes, the weapons do make the player, or the quarterback, of course. I mean, if you, so, I mean, yes, a, a, a Tom Brady level quarterback can drag a shitty Patriots team to the playoffs and then lose to Tennessee, but he's not going to be prolific. And then he, then he takes a, you know, a, 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 an awesome temp Tampa Bay team and wins a Super Bowl. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. It's, it, there's a, there's a yin and a yang to it, but it's hard to be elite when you have Willie Sneed and Des Bryant and you know, whatever the, I mean, honestly, what was his best player? Mark, Mark Andrews. It was and, Andrews was his leading yeah, receiving I, guy there. It was like, it felt like Willie Sneed was on a fucking he's lifetime contract with the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. It's it's nonsense. So I think they really upgraded their their um, and, and they even have Tylen Wallace. Like I mean, so yeah, I think they've got depth at the position. Uh, the tight ends, they a sneaky ad and a guy I like is Josh Oliver, who was drafted uh, 69th overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nice. Um, and I'll let you, make the you know, jokes there. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't never, want. To, I, didn't I don't want, know your people there, are listening. I don't know if there's a pocket on earth that uses the 69 nice joke more than fantasy football Twitter does. 
<laughs> I mean, he was. He was drafted 69th overall. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a it's a great landing spot. Um, but you know, he, he got traded from Jacksonville, who obviously didn't need tight ends. They got Tim Tebow, <laughs> so they're they're locked up there, right? I mean, obviously, Listen, sharpest, he's tight sharp, end. What do you have? Tight end four. Sharpest five? bet of the entire offseason was Vegas, uh, Vegas had Tim Tebow over under touchdowns 0.5 and over under receiving yards 13 and a half on the season on the season I'm like yeah he's gonna hit that right in week one like there's no doubt he comes out and scores two touchdowns in week one (laughs) yeah no doubt absolutely he's getting a jet sweep or something he's getting in that fucking I'm gonna draft him in the last round start him in week one and then drop him even after a 20 point game (laughs) no trade him (laughs) trade him Urban Meyer's in your league he'll take you know how many it's just like okay it's basically like Travis Etienne hit the upgrade button, LaVisca Chenault, hit the upgrade button, Tim Tebow. It's like a bunch of fucking athletic, beastly weapons there that are all just going to be running jet sweeps behind the line of scrimmage every <laughs> single play. That's what the offense yes, is going to be. Yeah, the triple reverse jet sweeps. That's the that's play one, and it's play, yeah, I mean, you know, 50. They're all wide receivers, yeah. all running backs. They're all going to be able to block. Like, Tim Tebow's going to be out there running jet sweeps just to block a guy, and then LaVisca's going to yes. switch spots, and he's going to block a guy. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, that that team. Speaking of that team, what do you think is going to happen? I think I asked. We'll finish on this one. I asked you zero abject train wreck. Ten is like they're a competitive uh, playoff team with a shot at a title. What what do you think that team ends up being like? Is this? I just I I don't know what to think of this whole. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be hard for them to go completely off the train tracks when you have uh, Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. And listen, like. That's a lot of talent on the field. Are they going to be used, yes. used correctly? Like, I don't know, but I'd imagine that the 11 players on the field are going to be good enough to make things happen. So I think they'll be good. I think it'll give us optimism for the following year. It's They're like the hardest fucking team to actually buy into for fantasy football. They've got depth at every position that makes you scared about the top end guys at each at each position. It's like, I don't want Chark. Agreed. He was terrible last year. Marvin Jones is literally a copycat of Chark and they signed him when they could have just let Chark be be the guy. LaVisca, is he a fucking wide receiver? Or is he a weapon? Travis Etienne, is he a running back or a weapon? James Robinson was amazing last year and then they used a first round pick on fucking Travis. It, it's, it's out of control what they're doing there in Jacksonville. Yes. So like, I will probably not be investing any draft capital into these guys. Um, I do have a lot of Marvin Jones in best ball. That's like the only guy I've been drafting. And why not? I mean, he's so free yeah. and he could very well be, um, you know, leading the team in targets uh, on a weekly basis, you know, in multiple weeks. So yeah, that seems like a very good um, uh, value. It is true though. You're absolutely right. I, I look at that Jacksonville team and I just don't know what to make of it. That's why I asked the question the way I asked it. It's like, are they a, are they a seven and 10 team? That like, you know, is frisky and, you know, Trevor Lawrence shows and you're like, yeah, that was a good team. They got a good offense. They're just not quite good enough here and there. Or is it like wheels fall off or are they like good? enough? I, I just don't know. And and you're right. Like, who is the recipient of, you know, the the the, the most looks and opportunities in the backfield and in the and in, in the uh, passing game? Obviously, after Tim Tebow, I mean, <laughs> because he's going to be what, 150. I mean. I think maybe 170 targets, although I sometimes think he'll probably get a lot of rushing attempts. So maybe 150 is my well, here's projection. The thing. Do you agree with People that? are talking about how the Saints are going to be a QBBC, quarterback by committee there. Yes. yes. On, a, on an actual serious note, though, I do think they'll have a package where they use Tim Tebow at the quarterback position on the, on the goal line where he's doing like – Remember those those jump passes he used to do in college? Yes, he's gonna. They're gonna yes. have plays where they write up a jump pass where he throws it to himself in the end zone. Watch, 
He's gonna fucking lob it up. Yeah. Runner, he's gonna do like a fucking swim move that like defensive linemen do to get past the O lineman and yeah. catch it himself. I'm telling you. They're gonna be and he's gonna do that while lining line. up at tackle pre-snap. Tell, yeah, there's gonna be some real fuckery going yeah. on on the, on the goal line. Exactly. Yeah, dude. You're hundred percent right about that. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. He can't uh help himself. Urban Meyer definitely cannot help himself. He's definitely gonna have uh, some goal line stuff for for Tebow, and probably smartly so. I mean, yeah. short yardage. Don't blame him at all. I mean, dude's a fucking. It actually beast. makes it actually kind of drives me wild when people like criticize like Sean Payton. Like, bro, Sean Payton knows what he's doing at a level that your brain will never fucking comprehend. Like Taysom Hill is a wildly efficient for them on the goal line. Like, I just because you don't yep. like it doesn't mean it's a bad fucking move. Like Taysom Hill's been very good for the Saints, and fact that Sean Payton he was like the first person that ever use a quarterback in this way and did so in a, in a successful manner. So it's like, fuck your tweet. Like Sean Payton knows what he's doing. I really think I've said it a multiple times. I think they're going to be a quarterback by committee in a lot of ways. Same. Like, and I think that's smart. You know I mean? If you really think of it, like if you're up, you know, 10 or 10 or 11 points in a game, you're trying to milk clock. Like, aren't you better off with the Taysom Hill offense than the fucking Jameis offense, of I course. Agree. It's yeah, like, it's much better for football just because it doesn't fit your fantasy football agenda. Like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> That's right. It does not fit my fantasy football agenda. That, though, was, that was specifically at you. Like, I was talking to you when I said that. <laughs> I know you were, man. <laughs> I know you were. Well, hey, I've taken up way too much of your time. You're the you're the man. This was a great pod. Um, you know, I I didn't um give you all the the glowing endorsements I gave you on air. I I didn't give you those like I had done uh pre uh, pre show, but. You're a you're 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 a person. I really uh, well. I'm taller than you, so I don't look up to you. But uh, maybe figuratively, I look up to you. Um, no, I, I just think you've done it right, man. You're uh, you you do it with authenticity. Um, tell the people where they can find you because I actually recommend. I mean, if anybody knows me, they probably already know you. But the point of the matter is, is whoever is following me needs to follow your ass too. You're, you're just amazing. I, I, I love what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it, it's the thought that counts. So on air, off air, it doesn't matter. I appreciate the words regardless. Uh, you could, you yeah, could uh, if you're one of the weirdos that likes to watch videos about fantasy football, you could find me on YouTube. That's probably my, um, not probably, it's definitely my biggest platform. It's just my name, Nick Ercolano. Otherwise I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram also as Nick Ercolano. Just, just type Nick Ercolano somewhere in on Google and all that shit will probably pop up eventually. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, on Twitter it's Nick Ercolano, exactly. And uh BDGE is your enterprise. Tell tell the people a little bit about uh what that what that is and, and where they can find that. Yeah, uh BDGE, that's the brand name, Big Dog's Gotta Eat. Um that's you know, I actually haven't really separated uh the brand from myself because again, I don't really look at um as myself as like a fantasy football guy in particular, I kind of don't like to box myself in. So I just keep it my name because I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be when I show up to a fucking video. So you should, you're not also not going to know what it is when, when I show up to a video or a piece of content. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day though. Yeah. We make, uh, we make content that's, that's hopefully authentic to who we are. And if we have something about in, in life, whether it's fantasy football, real football, fucking, I don't know, uh, tech comedy, whatever it is, like that's the content we're going to be putting out. So we, uh, we don't really stick to to one lane, but it, it's refreshing for us, and hopefully that carries over to the audience. Yeah, you're you're, you're super busy out there. You're doing a lot of stuff, and and to take the time to be here is, is great, and I, I appreciate it. I'm grateful for the friendship that we've begun to build a little bit here, and you know we we, we chit chat here and there. I remember, you know, I think it was like when I had first gotten started with the Undroppables, I had put out, or maybe even two years ago when I put out the, I, I remember, yeah, it was. I, was I already know what you're going to say. It was like the, uh, yeah, you shouted me out early on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the anatomy series you were using. That, I was like, fuck, man, that's cool. So you know, you you've you've you know, I appreciate you. You're just a, you're just cool. And I I appreciate this. And on behalf of everybody here at the undroppables, we thank you for coming by on behalf of everybody at the undroppables on behalf of everybody at the undrafted on behalf of the greatest producer in the world, (laughs) Mr. Michael Duncan on behalf of Nick Ercolano. Peace out. Michael.